Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle. The Other Castle. I'm Andrea. And my name is Tom. Tom, what are we doing here today? So here on The Other Castle, we break down the plot, lore, and more of video games. We're going to take you through the production cycle and then take you through the game itself. This week's game is one of the most requested that I've had. People are always emailing me, asking me, when are you going to do Ghost of Tsushima? Ooh, yes. I love I love that you're getting emails about that. I check the emails like once a week and mostly I'm just taking out like the promotional emails our podcast has gotten on. Right. I really appreciate that you go through like the suggestions. We get really cool suggestions. We also get really weird suggestions. <laughs> you know, we've gotten a couple of those pigeon games and I just can't justify it. The pigeon dating game? Yeah, yeah. Where you're, I don't know if you are a pigeon or if you're just dating them and it's like the Nikola Tesla thing where he fell in love with a pigeon, but man, you guys can break me down to do it. I'm just, <laughs> just resisting a little bit. It's between that and Doki Doki, so. That one I actually do. I, I unfortunately have had it spoiled for me, but mm. it still seems really cool. Man, the, the fucking pigeons. I can't get around. <laughs> but to that point, thank you guys for emailing us. You can always email us at theothercastlepodcast.com. Yes, that's theothercastlepodcast.com. It has links to all of our socials. Every one of our episodes is up there. And you can email us through there, right? There's a Yeah, there's an email tag through there. We also just have our email address in the uh, description below, so you can check that out as well. Yeah, so if you do have games you want us to do, and maybe they have pigeons, maybe they don't. I, I think I'd prefer non-pigeons, but man, if you break my spirit enough, I will do it. We did bully Tom into doing Five Nights at Freddy's at one point as a group. That's true. And also Spider-Man has pigeons, so <laughs> one of your favorite games of all time. <laughs> I know, but it's... <sighs> know if we can do it on this show man <laughs> there's there's a couple of tricks to the show right so we talk about the production the behind the scenes voice actors writers performers music directors there's a couple like jason graves is i am a big fan of now he's the music director behind until dawn dead space like a bunch of horror games huge fan why am i a fan of someone who does music for video games now that's what the show has done to me but we get into the nitty gritty of how these games come together, and then we do this audiobook version of the game. So if you're like me and the dexterity of doing some games scares you, or <laughs> you just don't have time to do a 60-hour campaign, we'll tell you what happens, and you can feel that with us. And man, please don't make me do that for the fucking pigeon game. <laughs> but anyway, that's what we're doing on this show. And again, if you want to hear more of our back catalog, too, of other games we've done, they are all available on our website for now. For now, yes, we are going to be archiving some of our older episodes from season one and two. Just not happy with the way those turned out necessarily. They don't represent the show that we do today. Yeah, and like we said, there's a lot that goes into the show today. Like we mentioned, everything that goes into it. Like I can name drop fucking music directors on video games now. Why is that a thing? But that's the level of detail we're bringing to you now. Some of them just don't deliver that same level of love and... We only want to give you the good stuff. But there are two episodes that are getting taken down that people will be like, why would you take down those episodes? And that's Bioshock and The Last of Us. And don't worry, we're going to redo both of those. Yeah, they deserve better. Yeah, entirely. Straight up. Our Last of Us 2 episode is great. And then when you compare it to how we did The Last of Us 1, it's such ass. So you deserve better. We're going to do right by you very soon. Promise. But they will always be available to our Patreon members. You can find out more about that on our website or just on Patreon, looking up the other castle. But anyway, that's all old shit. Let's get into the new shit. Yes, because we are here for Ghost of Tsushima. And this is going to be a long one just to like put that out there. Hell yeah. Shout out to everyone listening at work. <laughs> we will help you get through this shift. Yes, definitely. So Ghost of Tsushima is a PlayStation console exclusive game from Sony owned Sucker Punch Studios. I haven't heard of Sucker Punch, have I? 
You've probably heard of their biggest hits being Sly Cooper and Infamous. Oh, okay. I haven't played those, but that's why it sounds familiar. Got it. And those were both led by this game's director, Nate Fox. I love that name. Nate Fox is a power name. Yeah, one of the things that I love about Nate Fox is that he is officially the second creator I've heard refer to video games being more like a Broadway show than any other medium. You love anything Broadway related. You are such a musical dude. I do. And it's just wild that now there are two people that I've heard say almost the same thing, but he goes into a little bit more detail. He says, if you want to get into video game making, get into theater. He's just a big theater kid. (laughs) He is. What he says, it'll teach you everything you need to know about storytelling and structure. Mm. And most importantly, in this day and age of like mocap, performance. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you're directing or carving story for the very intimate performance that, you know, stage or video games would provide for the audience. Entirely. But also in theater, there's always chaos behind the curtain. (laughs) I love that. And once that curtain rises, the public can see you and you better be ready. Right. Because especially today, you will have instant live feedback on whether you succeeded or failed. Which is the audience's applause or booze. Exactly. Or sales in this case. Right. Acquired by Sony in 2011, Sucker Punch is another one of those studios like Naughty Dog, Supermassive, Insomniac, London Mm. Studio... Where they make games that are not only bangers, but they also show off the PlayStation's many capabilities. PlayStation is so fucking good at creating content that's immersive, engaging, and also is straight up, not to sound like an asshole, but just a marketing tool. You know, Until Dawn and their, when you say Until Dawn, people have this image of the don't move control from the haptics in the PlayStation 4 controller. And it's so fucking brilliant to be like... That's how delicate this shit is. That's how immersive this is. You're in the video game. Yeah, it just seems like their whole marketing strategy is to make system sellers. Yeah. And then from there, they're like, oh, this is everything the PlayStation has to offer. I wonder what other developers did with this. Hell yeah. It's it's genius and it's working straight up. We have three PlayStations in this house. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft acquires a lot of companies too. You don't see them doing like these tech demo games that are also huge other than outside of Halo. Yeah, you know, when we went to E3 one year, they were doing the Microsoft Connect. Is that what it was called? The yeah, camera? Yeah, the camera. But they weren't doing it in an immersive story way. They were just saying, here's your body on the TV, wave your arm and it waves. And PlayStation was over there like, okay, bet. We're going to show off the move controller and not just do, hey, you wave it and it's the paintbrush. We're going to do it in like it's a fucking wand or something and it's a magic wand and all these things. It just takes that storytelling with mechanics to another level that I don't see other people do. Very true. Other than Nintendo. I would say Nintendo's the other closest to what Sony does. Nintendo can do no wrong. They're right. just a powerhouse and never going <laughs> to shit talk them except for saying you need to have Outlast delisted from the store. It is not an appropriate Nintendo game. And it's not even to really shit talk Xbox. It just kind of shows why they're kind of losing this console race. And again, straight up to be an asshole, it's a marketing tool that works really well that Microsoft just doesn't have their arms around the same way Sony does. Anyway, I apologize for my marketing tangent. (laughs) Well, Sucker Punch Studios is located in the Pacific Northwest of the United States in Bellevue, Washington, making Ghost of Tsushima a Japanese samurai game made by balding white men in their 40s. Oh, no. And I think there's some military bases up there, too. and like very American. Yeah, but don't let that deter you because Nate Fox has gone on to compare Ghost of Tsushima to old spaghetti westerns. Oh, I love that. And a spaghetti western is when Italians would make westerns about the American Wild West. And some of the best westerns of all time 
hotels notwithstanding, are spaghetti westerns such as The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm. That's at least a name you've all heard. Nate has lovingly referred to Ghost of Tsushima as a hamburger samurai story to make his comparison. A hamburger samurai? I'm losing it and I'm fully invested. Yeah, but like the team at Sucker Punch really did the research. I watched an interview with Nate Fox for a Japanese TV show, so it was made for a Japanese audience, and they sat him with an actual samurai historian. Oh, shit. This historian was fucking giddy with how accurate this game turned out. Oh, that's beautiful. There was one part where they were scrolling through just the armor sets, and he would stop and go, oh my god, that's so-and-so's armor from the 12th century. Like, Oh, shit. They were taking real inspiration from real armor and putting it into the game. That's beautiful. It was like a museum came to life as a video game. What's happening? It was like listening to a Marvel fan calling out Easter eggs to the comics, you know? (laughs) But not insufferable. Right. (laughs) Yeah, respect and accuracy was at the forefront of the team at Sucker Punch's goals, and they nailed it as well as it could possibly be nailed. Now, Tsushima itself is an island that is part of Japan. A real island. It's a real place. It sits between the South Korean peninsula and mainland Japan. And they chose Tsushima for a few reasons. In the 13th century, Genghis Khan's empire was expanding rapidly, and the island of Tsushima was the location of a significant loss for Japan on that front. Oh, goodness. Particularly the Battle of Komodo Beach, where every single samurai on the island died. Oh, God. When the team at Sucker Punch heard about this battle, they decided to center the main story around this invasion and how the citizens of Tsushima reacted to it. Oh, God. So this is like a post-war moment. Yeah. uh, They were going to Tarantino it and kind of give an altered history version of events. Beautiful. Once upon a time in Tsushima. There you go. Exactly. Tsushima was also chosen as it is a part of Japan unfamiliar with the rest of the world. It's about 85% uninhabitable mountains and forests. So very jungle. Yeah. It's very lush, green, beautiful location. However, Nate Fox has said this is not a stone-for-stone recreation of Tsushima. The island's silhouette is still the exact same, but they wanted to be able to, like, fill the world out with people and environments, so they made changes that would allow Tsushima, like, to represent everything Japan has to offer. Oh, that's interesting. So instead of just mostly forests, they can create communities and different groups of people on those on that island. Very interesting. Yeah, and they have murky swamps to snow-capped mountains, which may sound familiar to another open-world Western-inspired game we've covered. And when designing Tsushima, they went full Disney Animation Studio and flew the artists to both Tsushima and mainland Japan so they can get like first-hand references for the assets they were creating. I know Blizzard does that for Overwatch, and I know Rockstar does that for a lot of other things. I think that just creates so much more authenticity because it's not just looking at pictures. It's that community vibe that you get from people and the way people interact with each other, that socioeconomic world of this setting that really brings things to life. Like Grand Theft Auto V, you and I lived in L.A. for years. I know where everything is because I have the muscle memory of like, oh, if I go towards the water, that's west, and that's how I can get to this location without having to look at my HUD, you know? Yeah, if you have a sense of the real place already, it does make it a little bit easier. Totally. They also wanted to make this game as an ode to legendary Japanese film director Akira Kurosawa. He made classics such as Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, and Throne of Blood. 
Throne of Blood is so fucking metal. <laughs> what right. did you just say to me? It's a very metal title. That's I mean, remember, so cool. a lot of these get translated, so that just might be the translated version of it. Still cool as fuck. I mean, in all fairness, there is a version of Jersey Shore that's called Macaroni Rascals. Uh, so I guess some things get lost in translation. But I would hope so. Damn, Throne of Blood. I've only seen Seven Samurai, but holy shit, you guys. If you haven't seen it, you have to. As of this recording, most of his movies are available on HBO Max. Oh, that's great. He's known for really long takes and sweeping vistas and wide shots of incredible action and stunt choreography. And many of the characters in the game are taken from the archetypes you can find in Kurosawa's work. This also led to Sucker Punch adding some really cool features to the game. For example, it's playable in English or Japanese. Oh, I love that. And you can have subtitles for both as well. There's even a mode called Kurosawa Mode where they speak Japanese with English subtitles, and the whole game is black and white with film grain added. That's fucking sick! Ironically, the game being made fully in English, upon the initial release, the Japanese dub suffered the fate that usually plague English dubs. Lip sync issues. Oh no. I mean, that makes sense, but... Aw, oh, man. Well, they've, they've gone and they've corrected those by now. Good. For the performances, they did a lot of mocap. But more like cyberpunk and less like Red Dead. What's that? What does that difference mean? They just did reference mocap more than anything. So like walking, running, that kind of stuff. Oh, versus actually going in and doing every single scene beat for beat. So you're getting that library of assets rather than the live assets. Right. Except for like big emotional scenes. They did do full acting for those. Okay. So we're getting it for those huge cut scenes, but mostly for in-game world, it's the same kind of sets for running and dodging and fighting and things like that. Yeah. They also made sure they always had historians and experts on set. It proved helpful, for example, when doing something as simple as using a bow and arrow. There's an archery expert in the game, and the actor playing him went to use his bow, and the expert stopped him. He was shooting the way Robin Hood would shoot. Take aim, draw back the string, and fire. But a samurai wouldn't shoot that way. Hmm. Samurai used long bows. Robin Hood used short bows. A longbow requires an entirely different method for pulling back the string, as they are much stronger than shortbows. I don't know anything about archery. So you hold the longbow almost over your head, and your bow arm is fully extended, and your string arm is cocked, without ever like having to pull on anything yet. From there, you actually just lower your straightened bow arm, and you keep your string arm cocked, and this naturally pulls the string back due to force, instead of due to the strength of the archer. Interesting. Yeah, it's very work smarter, not harder. <laughs> They're like, we actually have a better method of doing this. It's much more energy efficient. Another thing they learned is that something modern audiences have always found silly is actually very much grounded in samurai culture. You remember The Last Jedi? Yeah, totally. There's that fight with the Red Guards. One of the critiques is that they're all waiting their turn to fight in that scene. And it's not just The Last Jedi that does that. You've seen it in millions of times in movies and TV shows. I only bring up Last Jedi because Jedi culture has always been inspired by the samurai. Really? Yeah. Again, if you watch a movie like Seven Samurai, you're going to see a lot of comparisons to Star Wars, especially in the Jedi. In feudal Japan, that was simply how you fought. Really? So just kind of that first wave, give it a beat, and then approach in? Well, samurai have a strict code of conduct, and they do not think it's fair to fight more people than someone can handle. So like two people tops. And it was not uncommon for groups of samurai to lose to one or two better fighters as a result. Wow. 
because they're being polite? Basically, yeah, they were just showing huh. decorum and politeness. This is why every samurai on Tsushima died on Komoda Beach. Oh, God. The Mongol army didn't wait their turn. They're being rude. For the lead protagonist, they went with an actor named Daisuke Tsuji. He was born in Kuwait, then moved to Los Angeles, where he became a legitimate, trained and authorized clown. Oh, I was hoping you'd say samurai, but nope. He toured with Cirque du Soleil for several years. Oh, like a cool clown, not like a birthday clown. Yeah, he was a clown performer for Cirque du Soleil. Your ass said clown. I'm thinking bozo and shit, like red nose, big fucking shoes, and like a flower that squirts water. Cirque du Soleil is a very different kind of clown, if you even want to call it clownery. I know, it's not Barnum and Bailey. It's acrobatics more than anything. Yeah, he's a fucking, he can bend himself in half and shit. That's not clownery. <laughs> well, he's done some camera acting as well, his largest role being that of the crown prince in Man of the High Castle for Amazon Prime. As the lead character in this game, I think he does an exceptional job. My one nitpick being that he is almost too disciplined of a character hmm. and that the performance is pretty monotone. Okay, so he's very focused. He's like, I'm going to deliver this as a very even performance. Yeah, like when he's being funny, his inflection is the same as when he's upset, which is the same as when he's bored, which is the same as when he's happy, which is the same as when he's sad. You know, it's all kind of the same. He gives very dry. But I say all this, and I know that doesn't sound like very positive, but it's still a really great performance because that middle ground that he found is really useful, especially when he breaks it because he breaks it a few times and that makes it a little bit more impactful. It pays off better. Yeah. The rest of the cast was rounded out with some pretty well-respected Asian actors. However, there are different voices for the Japanese dub as most of these actors were not bilingual. So all of the performances were captured by American performers, and then just for the Japanese audience, they got the dub. Correct. One of the intentions of the game was for it to be an anthology of stories about the inhabitants of Tsushima during Genghis Khan's Mongol invasion, which in real history was led by his grandson, Kublai Khan. In South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, figure skating Olympic gold medalist Brian Boitano goes back in time to defeat Kublai Khan. Ah, uh, yes. In Ghost of Tsushima, Kublai's cousin... Koten, a fictional character, is leading the invasion. Brian Boitano is nowhere to be found, so we have to play as Jin Sakai instead. The name Sakai is also a dedication to comic book author Stan Sakai, who created the samurai comic Usagi Ujimbo, which is about a rabbit samurai. He said Usagi, and I was like, it's a bunny, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Usagi has done many official team-ups with the Ninja Turtles, both in comic and animated form as well. That. Yeah, it's actually how I knew who Usagi Ujimbo was as a kid. Usagi Ujimbo comics were a massive inspiration for Nate Fox as he started rereading them as an adult when he was working on Sly Cooper, and he just fell in love with the themes of the comic. The game itself was scheduled for release on June 26, 2020. Oh, honey. On PS4 and PS5. Both versions were the exact same in terms of specs, so it's really just the PS4 and you could play it on the PS5. Okay, fair enough. And being so close to release, COVID only had a very small impact and they had to push the date back a whopping three weeks to July 17th. Oh, that's fine. We're all stuck at home. Like, oh, wait, because The Last of Us came out in like mid, late June of 2020. So did they get wrapped up getting overlooked by The Last of Us Part 2? Aside from COVID, that's all anyone could fucking talk about was The Last of Us Part 2. 
Uh, no, I wouldn't even say it got lost. I think that moving off that June 26th date was probably good for them, because I think if it released in June, Last of Us 2, it would have probably gotten overlooked. Okay, fair enough. So, yeah, no, actually, probably a good tactical move to be like, let's let Naughty Dog have this week. <laughs> right, and they needed it, especially after all the controversy that was going on. Yeah, Neil is on fire. Uh, <laughs> he's calling everyone being like, for the love of fuck, stop letting things leak. Please stop screaming hate at our performers. Calm down. And then after a couple of weeks, we'll pop in. You know, that's that's probably good for the news cycle. Ghost of Tsushima released to generally favorable reviews. Great. And today it maintains an 87 on Metacritic. That's very solid. Fan reviews are in the, like the 98 to 99 percent, though. Oh, even better. On October 16th of the same year, the game received a multiplayer option with co-op and competitive aspects called Ghost of Tsushima. Legends. On August 20th, 2021, Sucker Punch released Ghost of Tsushima, the director's cut. Less than a year later, that's actually really impressive. Yeah, and that's the version we're going to be covering. This was their cherry on top of the tasty treat that was Ghost of Tsushima. (laughs) It was optimized for PS5 owners, adding the Japanese lip sync, haptic feedback, 3D audio, 4K resolution, and all the other aspects Lord Sony wanted featured. It also included a new map to explore called Iki Island, where another Mongol invasion also took place in history. And this is their final version of the game. They are pleased as Sucker Punch about it, and they've announced that it will not be receiving any more updates and that they've moved on to their next project. Don't you love that developers have to be like, we're done now. (laughs) They have to definitively put their fucking sword down and say, we are moving on. Sheath their sword. Yeah, get over it. You have so much content. You have hours and hours and hours of content. It's delivered. It's debugged. Stop asking. It is just nice to see a game get completed for once. I mean, (laughs) you did cover Cyberpunk last season, and I'm sure this is a welcome change from that world. Most definitely. On March 25th, 2021, it was announced that PlayStation Productions will be making a film adaptation of the game. You know, so many grains of salt when we hear these video game adaptations. We've been hearing that for every game? True. This is the same group that made the Last of Us TV series. Okay, fair enough. They also made the Uncharted movie. Uh, So it's Sony's in-house adaptation group. That's kind of what I'm hearing is they're like, they've been working with Naughty Dog. They're in the Sony fucking Rolodex. Let's go. Sony does like to play very much within their friends. Like they're very friendly when you're in the cycle, you know? Right. Kind of makes sense they're using the same people. I really enjoyed the Last of Us series. I don't see anything controversial about it. I really enjoyed that. I'm sad we didn't get enough bloaters. Just throw it out there. But we all are. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like a good group of people to do an adaptation. Now, does that mean they're associated with HBO? Most likely, yeah. Cool. As of this recording, cast members have not been announced. However, it still looks like we're in very good hands. As the director, Chad Stahelski... Just put out a little movie called John Wick 4. Oh, shit. It's that guy? Yeah. Fuck. He got his start as a stuntman in Hollywood and got his big break in the most morbid way possible. <laughs> he was Brandon Lee's body double. Oh, my God. He filled in for him in order to complete the movie The Crow after Brandon Lee tragically died in a freak onset accident. Holy shit. Which also pioneered the invention of deep fake technology. Really? Back then, that's kind of when that rollout started? Yeah, they replaced his face with Brandon Lee's face. Goodness. But yeah, I think the guy who gave us all four John Wick movies will give us a mind-blowing action movie. 
frankly, he's single-handedly leading the charge to get Academy nominations out for stunt performers and stunt choreography. And I'm fully on board with that more than fucking anything. I, I am here for equal rights. I'm here for cannabis regulation. And I'm here for stunt performers getting recognition on a larger scale. <laughs> That's my entire personality, guys. That dude's a fucking genius. He's so genius because literally two days ago he said, this movie will also include a Kurosawa mode. What? That's fucking sick. Right? That's so fucking cool. I'm so st- I'm sorry. I'm a little flabbergasted because that's so fucking rad. Good for him. He's just having fun. Hell yeah, man. Somebody understood the assignment. Hell yeah. We just have to wait a couple of years to see it. Now, in this game, you do write a lot of haikus. Oh. In honor of this game, I've written a bad one. <laughs> I wrote a haiku for a game really early on. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. It's bad. Don't look for it. Get comfy, Goombas, because it is time. This is Ghost of Tsushima. Pretend I'm snapping and giving you, like, jazz hands. <laughs> the game opens with a menu screen, asking you to set up all your preferences, which isn't rare for a game, especially these days with so many options for things like ray tracing and 4K TVs. Yeah, it's weird that you're bringing this up. Yeah, I usually wouldn't cover this part, but this one is a bit different in that you can choose all the different mode options available. This is where you're going to choose your dubs and subs, your Kurosawa mode. And while you're going through this menu screen, the background shows some of those tall vertical Japanese flags flapping in the wind. Once you finish setting up, the menu disappears, leaving just the flags flapping, and the camera pans down from there and lands behind two samurais on horseback riding into a military camp. All in one take, seamlessly. So just go from the menu right into the game. That is off the bat so well directed. Holy shit. This is one of the most cinematically perfect games I've ever played. Titles flash onto the screen saying, This is Tsushima, Japan. A voiceover from our protagonist, Jin Sakai, talks over the scene as the two samurai ride through the camp towards a hill's crest. He says that the Mongol Empire is invading his home the small island of Tsushima, and that they are ruthless and power-hungry. Today, 80 samurai are going to join together and attack the literal thousands-strong Mongol forces that have just landed on Komodo Beach at the base of the hill. Jin knows that today, he will die to defend his people. Oh my god. Jin and the other samurai, his uncle, Lord Shimura, look down at the forces below and calculate their minuscule odds. Lord Shimura gives a rousing speech to the gathered samurai, and they all cheer. He then turns to a heavily armored man on his left and says, Lord Adachi, go, break their spirits. Lord Adachi rides toward the Mongol forces, and we're shown for the first time their might. It's late at night, but with a full moon, we can see over 40 boats full of soldiers landing on Komodo Beach. Holy shit! It's like the opening scene to fucking Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Lord Adachi rides into the Mongol camp and approaches a group of soldiers. He tells them to send out their strongest warrior, for he wishes to challenge them. A grunt comes from the crowd, and soldiers step aside as a gigantic beast of a man walks forward confidently, carrying a large wine chalice. Lord Adachi introduces himself, going through his lineage like a Lord of the Rings character, (laughs) and the large man just throws the contents of his chalice at a Lord Adachi without saying a word. A soldier hands the large Mongolian a flaming torch, and he tosses it at Lord Adachi, who immediately bursts into flames. Oh my god! While Lord Adachi burns and tries to make sense of what just happened, 
the large man grabs a massive halberd and with an effortless swing cuts Lord Adachi's head off. Is a halberd a sword? So it's a pole with a giant fucking blade at the end of it. Oh, shit. With blood still dripping from his blade, the large man asks the samurai on the hill if they surrender. Oh, my God. Lord Shimura loses his fucking mind and in a rage yells, charge. And the surrounding samurai unleash fire from above as they launch flaming arrows down on the Mongols below. Fire with fire, baby. And the samurai on horseback all charge down the hill. The camera settles itself behind Jin, and again, seamlessly, we're now in the middle of the action, riding our horse into this hopeless battle. Beautiful. It's a perfect tutorial, teaching you how like mounted combat as you slash your way through the Mongol forces. Is there a lot of mounted combat? Not too much, but you can do it as much as you like, like later in the game. The army is responding with flaming arrows of their own. Eventually, one of their arrows hits a nearby barrel of gunpowder. Oh, shit. And it explodes, killing your horse and sending you flying to the ground. You come to and see your uncle, Lord Shimura, come to your rescue as a Mongol was about to murk your ass. The two of you continue forward on foot, killing the foreign invaders. Again, more tutorial teaching you the basic controls of the complex combat system in this game. The two of you break off to sneak into the main camp. You can see on the ridge up above the Mongols and Samurai fighting it out, and both sides are losing. The entire area is one big fire on top of it all. Mm. You finally see the giant man, who is also the leader of the Mongol forces, not far ahead. The two of you charge, but more flaming arrows land at your feet, causing another explosion, sending you flying. You wake up with an arrow in your back. Oh, God! And it's clear the battle is nearly over, and you were left for dead. You look up to see Uncle Lord Shimura struggling with a Mongol soldier. You also see a katana ahead, buried in the sand. A katana is a sword, right? Correct. That's a samurai sword. Thank you. I don't know a lot about swords. I'll try to use their proper names as much as possible. Oh, absolutely. Just please dumb it down occasionally for me. And just for any other non-weebs out there. Hmm. So yeah, you see this katana, and it's buried in the sand, and you start heading towards it. As you do, another arrow flies into your back, Ugh. knocking you to the ground. And you are just drenched in blood. Oh, God. You pass out just as you reach the sword in the sand. We next see the giant man approaching Lord Shimura, who is on his knees being held captive by two soldiers. The large man introduces himself as Koten Khan, cousin of Kublai Khan, and grandson of Genghis Khan. But, like, honestly, who isn't related to Genghis Khan? I think we all are, technically. I think if 23andMe has taught us anything... <laughs> we're we, all related to Genghis Khan. We're all in Khan, yeah. He explains why the Khan Empire is able to spread so fully. Koten has studied everything about Tsushima before ever stepping foot here. He knows every village, every resource available, the language, and its different dialects. He knows what he can easily destroy and what he needs to maintain. So he asks, once more, if the samurai surrender. And Lord Shimura just stares him down. Hell yeah. Koten nods and stands, drawing his sword. With a forceful swing to the head, the screen goes black. Mm. That's the fucking intro? Oh, we're not even through the intro, even remotely yet. Jesus! You once again see Jin lying on the beach, with two arrows in his back, and his hand near the samurai sword. You are prompted to push X, and when you do, the wind kicks up and red Japanese maple leaves float into the scene, spinning around your body and the sword at your hands. Jin's hand goes from limp to fist, and the screen goes black again. 
You wake up on your back, far from the beach, on a mat of leaves, and you've been bandaged up. You're still hurt, but recovering, and there's a campfire nearby. You wonder, how did you get there? When you hear a horn sound in the distance. You peer over the ledge of the hill and see a village below burning. Oh, God. You sneak in the village, seeing Mongols killing civilians and burning homes. Mm. You manage to find your armor in a nearby hut and put it back on. You exit the hut to see that the Mongols have clearly won. This village is all but destroyed, and they are killing everyone in sight. Oh, my God. A woman comes rushing at you and pushes you back inside the hut. She asks if you're healed enough to run, and you say yes. You ask about your sword, as it wasn't with your armor. She doesn't have your sword with her. She says she will help you get it back, though. But first, you need to hide, as a Mongol comes pounding on the sliding door. And these are like old-ass Japanese sliding doors with the bamboo and paper. Mm. The woman drops to her knees, sobbing like a helpless child. The soldier grabs her and demands all of her rice. She points to a corner and says to take whatever he needs. He throws her to the ground where she crumples over, sobbing. While he digs through her supplies, she sneaks up behind him and stabs him in the side <gasps> of the throat. What a bad bitch! Hell yeah! And as he bleeds out, she stabs him five more times in the stomach for good measure. Hell yeah, she does. That's She's seen some horror movies. That's some like second wave of scream shit where they're like, no, no, shoot them in the head and then keep stabbing just in case to make sure they're gone. Oh, I just saw her as like epilogue version of Sadie Adler. Hell yeah. You ask who she is and she introduces herself as Yuna. She says, if you want your sword back, you'll need to follow her. The two of you sneak through the town, sliding under buildings, again, more as tutorial on how to be stealthy in the game, but with good exposition while you do it. She tells you that half the island has been taken over. You ask about the Jito, Lord Shimura, and she's like, yeah, you probably don't need to worry about him anymore. <laughs> and a Jito is the modern day equivalent of a governor, and Lord Shimura is the Jito of Tsushima. Jitos are appointed by the Shogun to oversee a territory, so it's a very prestigious role and the highest honor for a samurai other than Shogun. Beautiful, okay. And the title is usually passed down through your family. You explain that he is your uncle, and she goes, wait, you're Jin Sakai? And she tells you she heard your uncle is actually still alive. Oh, shit. They took him to a palace called Castle Canada, which is just Canada with a K. Oh, <laughs> You tell Yuna that you need to sneak in and rescue your uncle, but she won't let you. She only saved you because she needs the help of a samurai, and that since she saved you, you need to do what she says. Either way, you still need your sword, and the two of you continue sneaking through the camp together. And this is destroying Jin inside, because you have to just watch as these poor villagers get murdered by the Mongols and do oh. nothing about it. You can't step in because you're... One, still recovering from several arrows, and two, you have to follow her. Holy shit. And you don't even have your sword yet. Yeah, so what are you going to do? Yeah, you're one unarmed person, and they're an army. As you sneak around, climbing rooftops, crawling under buildings, Jin deduces that Yuna's a thief, seeing as she found you alive while scavenging the battlefield. <laughs> you know what? Looting is fair in war, okay? Then he puts two and two together and realizes, she sold the sword, didn't she? <laughs> she moves quick at least I mean she is a sneaky girl she's like ha ha I'm crying fuck you I'll kill you she's like I didn't think you were gonna need it anymore dead boy dead boy besides she didn't sell it she traded it which is totally different yeah it's wartime 
you know, a lot is forgivable in wartime. You know, people are just trying to get it by. Right, and she's still confident the person will give it back anyway. As a samurai, Jin lives by a strict code of ethics, and honor is at the center of those ethics. Which, like, why does every story about Asian people have to involve honor in some way? <sighs> Jesus Christ, right? But it is actually a very real trait and point of order for the samurai, so it's at least accurate here. Okay. <laughs> this isn't the stereotype. This is the standard. Right. Yuna, on the other hand, is a sneak thief with very little code of honor or ethics, and you can start to pick up on their differences of opinion on the matter. I like her a lot. You find the home of the man who has your sword, and Yuna looks in and is all, well, he's dead. Oh no, so the sword's up for grabs then. Yeah, she says search his home to see if you can find the sword is still there, and you manage to find it. Jin unsheathes the sword just to make sure it's still in one piece, and he's instantly taken back to being a young boy on the first day that he swung the sword. And Jin's probably about 12 years old here, and he excitedly swings it about like he's fighting an invisible army. He's in a big dueling circle where samurai practice their sword work, which is maybe like a 50-foot radius. A Japanese maple hangs over this dueling circle, and its red leaves are falling and cover most of the ground. Lord Shimura is there, and he laughs as his nephews play with this weapon of war. <laughs> he says that your father's sword is not a toy. It's his father's sword. Oh. Yeah. And that it has ended wars, along with the lives of the soldiers in those wars. Oh, shit. He sees you have a black eye and realizes why you were playing with your dad's sword. Oh, no. And promises to teach you to defend yourself. And he teaches you some of the more complex controls of the battle system using wooden practice swords. During this training, he quizzes you, giving you scenarios as a warrior and how you can handle them. And you actually get choices in this. There are answers he considers correct and answers he considers to be cowardly or not the way of the samurai. Even if your opponent doesn't fight fair, it doesn't matter. A samurai always fights fair regardless. In an earlier episode, I talked about being fascinated by all the different types of tutorials and how some are arenas, some happen in the story. Yeah. And this game actually pulled off a hybrid version. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah, it teaches some things in the story and some of the more complex features in a training arena, and they do both really well. I also thought this game would feel like Red Dead Redemption 2 in a big way, probably because of like horses and open world. But especially here in the combat system, I started to realize this game is a lot closer to an Arkham game or Spider-Man with a very, very complex battle system that requires specific weapons and combos based on the type of enemy you're fighting. Yeah, and your environment, I'm sure, as well. Yeah. As training ends, Lord Shimura asks you the three virtues of the family code. Jin says, loyalty to our lord, which is the shogun, not like Jesus or anything. Yeah, it's, it's more like loyal to the soil. Control over our emotions. And of course... Honor, which means to fight bravely and uphold the legacy of Clan Sakai. Uncle Lord Shimura is like, good. You remember what your dad taught you? Oh. What does it mean to you, though? And Jin says that honor means protecting people. You have a great responsibility to those who can't protect themselves. And being a samurai comes with great power. With great power, great responsibility, baby. Exactly. The samurai code is not easy to live by, and Lord Shimura himself struggles daily to live by it. But for the reputation and endurance of Clan Sakai, we all must strive to live by it. The scene fades back to adult Jin, as you fully unsheath your father's sword, ready to use it to end another war. As a man loudly walks up from behind you, you hold the sword over your head 
and you can see the light reflecting off of it and over your eyes as you ready yourself to end this dumbass's life. Hell yeah, get him. After you do, Yuna takes you to find some horses that haven't been killed or taken. On your way, you see some Mongols, and she tells you to sneak up and slit their throats from behind. You say no, that's against your code. Instead, you step out and challenge them directly. This teaches you one of the coolest gameplay mechanics they offer. Through the game, whenever you encounter a group of Mongols, you can challenge them to a duel. It's like what Lord Adachi tried to do against Koten at the start of the game. Right. It's kind of a QTE, but it's more of a slow time event. Oh. Anyway, it's a way to kill up to three or four of them in a single move, and it's all in slow-mo and blood flies everywhere when you do it. That sounds awesome. It's like Samurai Deadeye? Yeah, kind of Samurai Deadeye entirely. And if you fuck up, you just go into the fight injured. Oh. You hear from a villager you saved about a place called Golden Temple that is still free from the Mongols, and you send them there to set up a safe space for survivors. Yuna saved you because her brother Taka is being held captive by the Mongols. Oh no. He's considered the best blacksmith on the island, and they want him to make weapons and armor for the Mongols, or they'll kill him if he refuses. Holy shit. You promise to help Taka after you save your uncle from Castle Canada. And just to make sure you keep your word, Yuna tags along. She's like, yeah, but I'm going to keep eyes on this because I'm a little sneak thief and I don't trust anyone. When you find some horses, you point out that they are samurai horses. This means they are well-trained and obedient. Yuna tells you to choose one and to name it. You're given three options. Nobu, which means trust. Kage, which means shadow. Or Sora, which means sky. I've only known Nobu as the sushi place. It's interesting to know what that word means. Right? That's pretty neat, huh? It's not just his name. No, it means expensive sushi. (laughs) Of course, as a massive Kingdom Hearts fan, I named my horse Sora. Of course you did. We see an Indiana Jones-style map journey of a black line going over the terrain of Tsushima Island as the two of you ride to Castle Canada. I like that as the fast travel mechanic or visual that you get instead of just kind of like trotting along. Castle Canada is built into the side of a mountain, and there are sections connected by bridges as different mountain peaks contain different parts of the castle's like surrounding encampment. The castle itself is isolated, and the only entrance is via a 200-foot-long bridge. Holy shit. And you fight through the encampment to the bridge. You tell Yuna to ready the horses. Once you have Lord Shimura, you're going to need to tear ass out of there. Absolutely. Since Koten humiliated the entire samurai army by killing Lord Adachi with fire, you plan to confront Koten face-to-face still, but skip the introduction part and just strike without warning. Hell yeah. With the blood of his men dripping from your sword, (laughs) you yell out for Koten Khan to come out to the bridge and fight. He walks out with his helmet off as he was celebrating his victory over your uncle. Oh, fuck you. And since he's so far away and hardly protected... You go ahead and introduce yourself anyway. Koten says that he has heard all about you from Lord Shimura, and then he brings your uncle out tied up. Oh. He says he wants your uncle to watch as he makes you beg to join the Mongol army. It's like they had a checklist of how can we make this dude seem like an asshole, and they just went right down. Is he also eating an apple and shit? Like, <laughs> it's giving villain. He grabs the halberd he used to behead Lord Adachi, oh. and the two of you face off. And this game does have a new game plus mode, and even with an endgame level Jinsekai, you can't beat Koten. 
Really? Oh, shit. It ends in him getting the better of you no matter what. How frustrating is it when you're going to a fight that the game structures that you have to lose? I know it sucks, doesn't it? Because you're like, but wait, okay, let me keep trying. Let me keep trying. And after a while, you're like, I think it does want me to just end this and not get through. Yeah, it goes very quickly into the next cut scene. So that way you're not thinking you lost. Oh, okay, that's good. He tells you that you can surrender and save yourself. But you slash at his face with your sword, cutting him. Hell yeah. You gave him a cool face scar? He's such a good villain right now. Oh, right? And he easily picks you up and tosses you off the bridge. Oh, that's creepy. What the fuck? And you fall the 300 feet to depths below in a beautiful wide shot. Mm. And the screen goes black. Jin's voice comes over the black saying that he once again failed. And we're taken to a scene. It's a flashback as we can see little Jin, and he's about the same age as the previous flashback. Around 12-ish? Yeah, right around 12-ish. It's dark, and you're on a battlefield that's covered in pink Japanese weeping cherry petals and death. Mm. A samurai in ornate armor with big deer antlers is crawling towards Jin, bleeding out, begging for help. Jin calls out to the samurai, who happened to be his father. But Jin is hiding behind some barrels, afraid of the men killing his father and his soldiers. Oh, God. One of the men sees your dad crawling away. And he walks over, saying, May your death benefit all beings. As he strikes a killing blow, and your dad dies. Oh, my God. Just feet away. The camera focuses on your dad's dead body, still in his armor. And the scene changes around the armor. Your dad's body is gone and the armor is on display in a house. It's the day of your dad's funeral, and you are still little Jin, heading off to say goodbye. A woman named Yuriko escorts you to the Clan Sakai burial plot. This game really loves to highlight the respect that Japanese culture has, especially of that era, for like all living beings. Mm. Graveyards are places of extreme importance and respect. Where you are buried is as important as where you lived. Being the son of a lord, you are greeted by the other clans from all over the island. Because while your uncle is like a governor, your dad was more like a mayor, but a mayor of the largest city. So you're just in like a very highly politicized family. Like, of course, there's a lot of respect and reverence for the death of your father. Correct. And it's actually a lot closer to like Renaissance era England and Scotland and how land governorship worked. You're about as Nepo baby as they come. (laughs) In, like, the most loving, respectful way possible. (laughs) Right. All the other major clans come to pay you their respects on the day of your father's funeral. And we even get a little cameo from Lord Adachi. Yeah, I like him. Adachi's my friend's boyfriend's name, too, so. First time playing through, you don't realize you're also meeting a shit gang of people you're going to meet later throughout the game. The woman who came and got you, Yuriko, is the family's head of house. She's like the butler, but with a lot of respect and prestige. Like a chief of staff of the family. Yeah, she raised you more than your parents did, as your mom has been dead for a very long time. So he's full Batman. (laughs) Kind of, right? You approach your father's grave, and Uncle Lord Shimura is there. You cry to him, saying you should have saved your dad, but you froze up. Lord Shimura says that your dad died a warrior's death, defending his only son. There is no more honorable death than that. Yeah, it's Valhalla, right? And he decides then and there to take you and raise you as a son, invites you to come live with him, where you will be his heir. 
the, so I'm assuming he doesn't have any other children aside from his nephew now. Yeah, it's bachelor uncle Lord Shimura. Cool. It's weird to think of him as a bachelor, but <laughs> sorry, reality TV has ruined that term, but yeah, go on. <laughs> you wake back up as adult Jin, walking on a beach, dazed, confused, and lost. You landed in water when you got thrown from the bridge, and have once again said fuck you to death. You drop to your knees and clutch your sword. You ask your sword for your father's guidance, asking how can you save Lord Shimura? And with that, the wind picks up and blows. And you can see sand get picked up in the wind along with cloud-like wisps and leaves. So you get up and head in that direction. Because that's how you navigate in this game. You don't get a compass. You get your father, the wind, to guide your way. That's beautiful. Also terrifying. Why is that terrifying? There's ghosts saying go left and shit. That's scary, Tom. This is the most mystical aspect of this game, though, to be fair. Okay, so it doesn't get weirder from here. No. Anytime you want to know which way to go, just swipe up on the touchpad in the center of your controller and the wind will blow in the direction you need to go. I guess that's beautiful and very artistic, but in real life, that would be terrifying. I mean, my sister thinks that hummingbirds are fucking my dad, so, you know. Um, he does not mean the hummingbirds are fucking his father. That means that the spirit of his father lives in hummingbirds, just to clarify. That's true, yeah. Sorry, I definitely uh, need to clarify that. <laughs> Made her sound way crazier. <laughs> the hummingbirds are fucking our dad. The wind guides you to Yuna, who has your horses tied up and ready like you asked. You explain what happened and the shame you feel for your failure. You find out as you ride that the general impression on the island is that all the samurai are dead. Oh. You know that not every samurai was at that battle. There are a couple around the island that you know you can recruit in order to help fight back. You see some Mongol soldiers right off to where you fell, so the two of you decide to split up in order to confuse them. Yuna keeps trying to give you reason to prioritize her brother and tells you he can craft any weapon you can imagine if you save him. I, when you said he was a blacksmith, I was like, oh, we'll unlock a blacksmith to <laughs> upgrade weapons and shit. That's great. Yeah. And she says that he can actually make you a grappling hook you can use to scale the walls of Castle Canada so you can sneak in later. Like Batman. You agree to meet in the town where he's being held after you recruit some help. And the two of you mount your horses and ride off. You get a great sweeping shot of Jin riding Soda through the forest. And the camera swings down and rests behind Jin as he rides and you take control. I love that. You can see a clearing, and it's an endless view of white tall grass about waist high to a human. You burst through the clearing and out into the wide open, beautiful plains. As you ride, Jin leans down and lets his fingers run through the high grass. As you touch the white long grass, words appear, and it says, Sucker Punch presents Ghost of Tsushima. Act 1, Rescue Lord Shimura. Oh shit. almost died twice by the time we get to the fucking opening credit scene. Ooh, girl. Oh, that was just the prologue, Goombas. Damn. Now you're free to move around the island. However, pulling up the map, you'll see it's divided into three sections. Basically a top, middle, and lower third. We're in the lower third, and the path to the middle third is through Castle Canada. 
you get kind of segmented into the thirds as this game progresses. There are small villages, temples, outposts, and forts spread throughout the map, and you have to liberate them of any invaders. So this is an open world game, right? Very much so. Okay. In these villages, there are side quests and collectibles like any good open world game has. There's also a ton of open world to explore, every bit as beautiful as the best of Red Dead Redemption 2. In this open world are a bunch of different types of collectibles to help you level up and progress. For example, there are foxes you can interact with. The foxes lead you to shrines, and at these shrines you can find power-ups and trinkets. You can also meditate in beautiful places and write haiku poems. But none result in you losing your arms, legs, ears, and eyes like poor Pooh and Earthbound. <laughs> are you able to read the haikus, or is it just you see like the scene of him writing and focusing and thinking? Oh, no, you write them yourself. Oh, that's so fascinating. For each line of the, of the stanza for a haiku, you're given three different options. Huh. Okay, so it's not just open fucking essay style. <laughs> They're like, okay, you can structure this. We will give you the correct stanzas with the correct syllabic format. Yeah, because when you meditate, it'll give you a prompt of like, meditate on death, meditate on honor. So it gives you kind of a prompt of what you're going to meditate about. Yeah. And then, yeah, you can kind of build the haikus with their selections. That's really neat. You can also bathe in hot springs around the map and increase your max health. Can you see your own butt? You can see Jin's butt. Hell yes. yeah. I will play this now. He gives good butt. Ooh. One of my favorite elements of this game, weirdly, is looting and collecting herbs and shit. You hate that. I know, but unlike a hyper-real game like Red Dead 2, you just receive it. It just kind of floats over to you and you're like, ah, It doesn't even inventory. float. It's just magically in your shit. It's just there. <laughs> yeah, instead of hopping off your horse, going into nature mode, finding the herbs, physically pulling them up out of the ground and putting them in your satchel, you just, in this game, hit R2 and it's in your fucking satchel. It is very tedious in Red Dead. <laughs> and you have to, like, identify them and shit and you see Arthur, like, painstakingly pulling them out of the ground and being like, Yep, that's a fucking root. You can be going full speed on your horse, just hit R2 and you got the shit. Okay, that's fucking sick. One of my favorite environmental details of this game is the weather system. You love the weather? Yeah, because Jin can more or less control the weather by playing a song on his wooden flute. He can control the weather. Well, his dad's the wind. Oh, yeah, and he's the fish in Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> love it. Being a Sony-exclusive title... They really loved to show off the peripherals this system had to offer. Of course they do. Sony just, they're here to flex, if anything. Between the haptic feedback of the DualSense controller and the 3D audio of the headset, it feels like you're playing the flute. And you can hear it actually coming from exactly just below your lips. Oh, that's fucking crazy. And in your hands, you can feel the air travel through the flute via the <gasps> controller. I feel like you had me check something out while you were playing this. Yeah, I was doing that. I was playing the flute. So I was like, you just need to feel and hear this. Just close your eyes and you'll be Jin. It was eerily immersive and I knew nothing. I was like, I don't know what the fuck you're doing, but this is cool. Also, this game's armor system is stat based. And the stats differ based on the type of gameplay style you want to employ. Over time, you'll have an armor set for archery, one for stealth, one for sword fighting, one for dueling. One for using tools like smoke bombs and kunai, and one for just exploring the map. As a result, sometimes you end up with stupid looking combinations. <laughs> I love it. Because you're trying to balance stats with cosmetics. Yeah. Your sword, though, being a family heirloom, 
can't technically change. Totally get that. You want to be respectful of something that was handed down to you. Yeah, you can change out the handle and the sheath, but that's it. The stats don't really change. Is it a nice, like, master sword moment? Is it OP as fuck? It feels like it should be OP as fuck. It's just a sword. Everybody has the same sword. Uh, Sometimes your different designs that you can get on the sword will give you, like, little boosts, things like that kind of stuff, but it's not too many big changes. Your sword also always has an accompanying knife. That's basically a mini version of the sword, and it's called a wakazashi. And again, this is an area I expected to feel like Red Dead, and really, I don't know why, but it again plays more like a Spider-Man or Arkham game. And I mean that entirely as a compliment. I was just surprised it lent itself in that direction more. (laughs) But then again, Spider-Man and Ghost are both Sony exclusives, so maybe there are some like mandates we don't know about. There's something there. (laughs) Anyway, we have a few prompts, and you can do this in most any order you want. Each character that has story elements has chapters for their own, and it actually tells you how many chapters that character will have in the game. You need to complete those chapters sequentially, and some you can't complete in the lower third. You have to wait until you progress to the next two-thirds later in the game. So some of these arcs will take the course of the entire game, and being an homage to Seven Samurai, there are a lot of arcs to keep track of, and we're simply not going to be able to cover all of them. I'm very sorry. (laughs) be messy when you don't have the visual representation too i'm sure yeah plus most of the stories are not relevant to the overall plot and you don't actually need to complete them in order to complete the game however beginning their stories is necessary to the plots it's only finishing them that is not so i'll do my best to make it clear you go to the village to meet yuna and you find her going full sadie adler as she kills the last (laughs) of the mongols keeping the village hostage She says that the surviving villagers told her the Mongols took her brother upriver to a camp near Castle Canada, and the two of you need to set off to chase after them. Do you like that she was just killing time by killing people? (laughs) She's like, well, homeboy's got to go figure his shit out, so I'm going to murder and loot and murder. That's my whole deal. Yeah, I, I love Yuna so much for that. Like I said, each character has chapters of their own, and each mission begins with a full chapter title card. Because in, in reality, every game has this. We just don't always know what the titles are. Yeah. Because missions are written as mini-stories in games, and those mini-stories all have titles. And sometimes those titles make it into the game, and sometimes they don't. In this game, they all get a beautiful establishing shot of the area, with a title in both Japanese and English taking up the center of the screen. You ride through the map on the way to the camp and get to know Yuna. It's just she and her brother Taka now. The rest of her family is all dead. You say that Lord Shimura is the only blood you have left alive as well. Lord Shimura taught you to stay reserved and to not share too much, as a samurai has control of their emotions. Yuna thinks that's stupid. (laughs) You arrive at the camp, and Yuna makes a plan to sneak in and kill a bunch of people quietly so as not to raise a scene that could get her brother killed. You say that before the Sakai clan arrived on Tsushima, it was a lawless land of thieves and criminals. The samurai brought order and justice to Tsushima. You will not break the moral code of the samurai to save Yuna's brother. Again, Yuna thinks that's stupid. Yeah, she's had one objective and you're being resistant to it. I kind of get where her, her energy's coming from. She says, if you won't break your code, then at least bend it to save a fucking life. Yeah, she's like, well, there's honor in keeping him not dead. So what the fuck, man? Besides, you're going to need to do so in order to sneak into Castle Canada anyway. Get used to it. 
You explain that it was never your choice to become a samurai in the first place, but regardless of that fact, you still feel obligated to live by its code. As a recovering Catholic, I know exactly how he feels. Oh, God. You sneak into the camp and find a guard all alone. You know that if you confront him, he'll yell out and Taka's life will be in danger. And Yuna tells you, it's time to draw that wakizashi of yours and take the guy out quietly. And here's where I had a tiny issue playing the game. Again, I was unfairly stuck on this notion of the game being like Red Dead. And I took this whole samurai's code as being the honor system of the game. Oh. So when I played, I didn't stealth kill this guy. I fought him honorably. I just managed to kill him before he could shout out. Okay, so you got him in that slow time event moment. Yeah, I it didn't even do that. No, I just kind of walked up to him and stabbed him like when I knew he could see me. Okay. <laughs> You're like, well, we're going to make eye contact, but I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And I went for a very long time avoiding stealth kills at every turn. But I forgot one very important and obvious thing. This game is called Ghost of Tsushima. Oh, so you're supposed to be a little ghosty. You are essentially playing as the first person to take the samurai and transition it to the ninja. Oh, oh, that's wild. Okay, so that's where we see that cultural shift. Because the ninja didn't really start to become a thing until about 50 to 75 years after the events of this. So they're kind of like, what if he was the first? That's a wonderful fucking thesis. I love that. Holy shit. So you kind of want to embrace this fact because your skill tree has a ton of great stealth options. And by the end of the game, every single slot on every part of that tree is going to be full anyway. So you might as well. (laughs) Yeah, there's no honor system in the game. So go ahead and be a stealthy motherfucker. So you misunderstood. (laughs) I misunderstood the assignment entirely. Yeah. And now in retrospect, you're like, oh, it's ninjas. Yeah. Be a ninja. (laughs) Because of this first stealth kill, you get a flashback. You're little Jin again, and you and Uncle Lord Shimura are in a forest clearing, and you're standing over a bloody stain on the ground. It's from an injured bear, and the two of you set off to track it as Lord Shimura's arrow failed to kill it. You find the bear after some searching, and it's dead. But it didn't die from the arrow. Oh. It's been gutted by a knife. Oh, shit! As you realize this, a man comes from behind Lord Shimura to stab him in the back. Lord Shimura turns in time to only get slashed in the arm. Mm. He pulls out his own sword and cuts the assassin down where he was standing. Hell yeah. Bleeding out, the man begs for his life. Little Jin pulls his sword and is like, let's fucking go. Hell yeah, little Jin. But Lord Shimura stops Jin and tells him to gain control of his emotions. If you're going to take a man's life, you don't do it out of anger or fear. You do it with courage and respect. Once you have control, then you can go ahead and kill him, while looking him in the eye. Only cowards strike from the shadows. The scene fades back to adult Jin, who has just struck from the shadows and killed a man. Yuna's like, Jin, you good? And you sneak into the camp together to save Taka. And he's kind of like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Having an emotional breakdown because everything I believed is wrong and I need to do the right things to survive, but also I have to honor my family. God damn it. You save a prisoner that's not Taka, but he's a member of the Straw Hat clan. And it's not at all related to One Piece. I'm sorry, everyone. Oh. 
The straw hats are identifiable by their, well, straw hats. They're the traditional hats that look like a drum symbol, and they're made of straw. They're a warrior clan, but not samurais. They may be willing to help free the island, despite having zero loyalty to any kind of ruling class, because they're Japanese libertarians. Oh, I love that. He says they took Taka to an overthrown town further upriver. It's bigger and better protected than a camp, so you need a way to sneak in. Yuna says she knows someone who can help. But after you save her brother, she and Taka are getting the fuck off Tsushima, and good luck with the war after that. Oh, so you can't really use him as a blacksmith. They're gonna dip. You don't agree with that decision, but realize there's not much you can do about it. Then she's like, oh yeah, sorry you broke your whole like samurai code thing for me. He's like, yeah, it's been really difficult. Yeah, with blood still on your face, you say you did what you had to. Back at Castle Kanada, we get a scene between Koten Khan and Lord Shimura. And it's more of the same, surrender, and this all ends. Lord Shimura questions why he hasn't been killed yet. Koten says because Jin is still alive, and he wants Lord Shimura to see him beg to join the Mongols like he said. Oh my god! Lord Shimura is inspired by this, saying Jin won't stop until his dying breath, and neither will he. And together, they will force the Mongol horde back where it came. You set out to find a samurai archer named Sensei Ishikawa. He was not at the battle, and he's the archery instructor to most of the samurai. The people in town where he resides said they thought he went to the battle. He gathered supplies the day before it and left. He decided to go to his training dojo to see if he's there. A town person asks if it's true Sensei Ishikawa took an entire pirate ship out with a single arrow. You say it wasn't a ship, but he did kill the captain from the shore, and it caused the entire fleet to turn and leave. So kind of arguably cooler than blowing it up? Yeah. Yeah, he scared them. That's fucking sick. Regardless, he's retired now, so nobody expected him to fight in the war anyway. And it's implied that retirement is not a noble thing to do for a samurai. Huh. At the dojo, you find an arrow that has been removed from a person's body, and blood everywhere. Oh, Jesus. Then you find bloody footprints going outside. You track them to a little house up the path, and Sensei Ishikawa is inside, bow-drawn and ready to fire. <laughs> he was ready. He sees you and is like, oh, it's baby Lord Sakai. Baby Lord Sakai? Why are you here? You ask why he wasn't at the beach, and he says that bandits attacked the dojo just as he was about to set off. And you're like, cool. So after the two minutes it took you to deal with them, what did you do next? <laughs> and Ishikawa insists he was making sure they didn't return with more men. Jin said the math ain't math, and like, <laughs> we could have used you, buddy. He wants to help you get your uncle back, but he's missing a student, and he needs you to help find them first. You agree to help him find the student in order to get him to help. As you track the student, Ishikawa reveals their name is Tomoe, and that they're a woman. Which is kind of unheard of for a samurai to teach a woman how to fight. Okay, so this was a unique situation. Yeah, because you're like, okay, sometimes rich women get to learn cool stuff. Is that what this is? And he says no. She's a peasant woman, and she can outshoot any samurai he's ever met. He said she's not rich, she's just a bad bitch, man. She's a regular Katniss Everdeen. Hell yeah. You track her to an abandoned campsite. There's signs of a struggle. It's as if she tried to ambush the bandits that had attacked the dojo, 
and they overpowered her and took her captive. Oh, God damn it. Because her quiver of arrows was found in the campsite. And Ishikawa gave that quiver to her personally. She would never leave them like that. While tracking her, we find out Jin tried out to learn under Sensei Ishikawa, but he just wasn't good enough yet to join his class. Oh, so he's like, this girl must be fucking great because <laughs> my ass couldn't get in there and I'm a whole ass samurai. Yeah, and here's the thing is that it wasn't a no, it was a not yet. Come back later. But Jin convinced himself that it was a no. Oh, buddy. Ishikawa says Jin had what it takes to become that good, but stubborn-ass Jin never went back after actually getting better on his own, thinking he didn't need stupid old Sensei Ishikawa anyway. So he's got a little ego on him. A little bit. I mean, that kind of goes hand-in-hand with being a samurai, I think. Yeah. Just that stubbornness of like, ah, fuck. All right. I can do anything. Yeah. But now that you're here together, you start taking pointers and start learning from Sensei Ishikawa as you track down his missing student, Tomoe. That's a clever tutorial bit. Yeah, entirely. You make it to a fort where Ishikawa believes Tomoe is being kept. And remember how I said the different armor you wear can be used for different gameplay styles? That's right. In this game, you will use every single gameplay style as you progress. That way you're not always playing stealth, not always doing sword duels. Every mission is designed around one and sometimes two different fighting styles. So you have to be very adaptive to whatever the situation calls for. Yes, that's a perfect way to say it. And fortunately, changing armor can be done on the fly. Nice. You can literally just pause in the middle of a fight and change your entire outfit and weapon loadout whenever you want. Oh, that's the dream in just life. I love (laughs) that. I think your D&D character can do that. Yeah. <laughs> My D&D character got jumped and I just got like the cloak of many outfits. So now I'm just like, I'm wearing Blake Lively's Met Gala dress from 2017 and we're in a full fight. <laughs> and that's all I have to contribute. Obviously, this mission is an archery mission and you rain down arrows on the enemies below. When you overtake the fort, you find all of their prisoners and they're all dead. Oh, no. Tomoe, though, is not one of them. <gasps> Oh, thank God. I was scared. Why would you do that to me? But every single dead prisoner was killed with arrows. Baby girl, what you doing? With her missing, you figure it means she must still be alive. As you search the fort, you find an archery practice range. In one of the targets, Ishikawa recognizes the arrow style as the one he taught Tomoe how to make. (laughs) He was like, that's my girl. (laughs) Jin gives her the benefit of the doubt, saying the Mongols must have taken her gear. And Ishikawa points out that the arrows are all very tightly centered on this target compared to the other targets around where they're scattered. So she had time to do some target practice during all of this? Well, he at least says only she could have fired these arrows. Still, you assume she must have been forced to teach the Mongols her skills. But that hope is dashed upon finding her nice, quaint little bedroom where she was clearly taken care of. Oh, man... You hear someone struggling outside and find a dying prisoner. He says Tomoe was a prisoner, but they set her free, and she joined their ranks. Oh, God damn it! And showed her loyalty by killing the other prisoners. Oof. Including him as he finally dies. Sensei Ishikawa reveals that there were no bandits. He and Tomoe had gotten into an argument. He really had to backtrack and be like, okay, so I kind of was bullshitting you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, he's kind of a dick. She was the one that attacked him. He's a teacher, and he's a hard teacher. And he was supposed to be retired, but she was too special not to teach. 
And now she's teaching his way of the bow to the Mongols, and he can't be responsible for that many deaths. Ugh. Ishikawa agrees to join the fight if you agree to help him hunt her down after. As I said before, with each of these people we're going to collect, after you get them on your side, you can technically never complete these side stories. So you could just go on without killing her. Correct. Or hunting her down, anything. Wow. Because each one has some need for Jin's help, and it's kind of a quid pro quo situation. But I think it's kind of rude to introduce these characters and not complete their stories. Because this episode's already going to be long as shit. <laughs> so, here's a quick breakdown of how the Tomoe story concludes. You become another student of Sensei Ishikawa while you hunt for Tomoe. And you start to realize, he's a fucking asshole of a teacher. <laughs> he's like, I'm not saying I justify and understand why she turned on you, but dude, you're a dick. Yeah, while on missions, he keeps getting innocent people killed. Oh, God! And then he just kind of shrugs it off. Okay. Heartless. And like you said, you start to realize why Tomoe would get into a fight with him as you are just not agreeing at all. During a face-off with Tomoe, she explains that she tried to get out of being his apprentice. And that's why they fought the night of the invasion. She got caught by Mongols and only got out of it by teaching them how to shoot. The prisoners she killed was in mercy because they were going to burn them alive. Oh, God. And she just wanted to put them down quickly instead. She's like, you're dying regardless. I'm going to save you the hours of agony. Right. Fuck. She and Sensei Ishikawa never really make up, but the three of you do team up for one mission to kill a bunch of Mongols on the beach, and she steals a boat and sails off to start a new life. Good for her, honey. Get It's a toxic environment. Get out of there. Entirely. But please don't at me because I didn't cover every little detail. <laughs> There's a lot of details to cover, but also, if you love it so much, play the game and discover it for yourself. Yeah, goddammit. Yeah, it's a wonderful experience. <laughs> anyway, you need more samurai on your side, and Sensei Ishikawa tells you to find Lady Masako Adachi, the now widow of the late Lord Adachi. Mm. If she's alive, she's every bit as good a warrior as her husband was. She was just never allowed to be a samurai. Like Jin said earlier, sometimes rich women get to learn cool shit. <laughs> It's their eccentric hobby is, like, weaponry. Yeah, and Lady Moscow is one of those rich women. Instead, she trained the women of her clan to be warriors. Oh, that's fucking sick. And the women of Clan Adachi are considered to be the bravest on the island. Hell yeah. At Adachi Manor, the women have already fought off a group of invaders, and everybody's gone. You track their trail and find a dead horse, belonging to Clan Adachi. When you approach it, an arrow zips past your head and Lady Masako stands over you with an arrow drawn. She recognizes you and wonders how you're alive. The entire island is under the impression that you and all the samurai are dead. You're the ghost! She hadn't heard about her husband yet, and you tell her that he died a warrior's death defending Tsushima. Oh no, that's so sad that you have to be the one to break it to her. I know, you don't really tell her how. You just say, he fought with honor. You don't tell her that he got the deconstructed Molotov cocktail? <laughs> deconstructed Molotov? Like if it was served Damn. at a gastropub. That's really good. No, it's not. It's very sad. She mourns her husband and with him all of Clan Adachi because they're also all dead. Killed oh. by raiders. Oh, God. She's all alone. The raiders who attacked the manor and killed everyone here were Japanese. Oh, shit. Not Mongols. Oh, no. Some of whom were her own people. What the fuck? 
she only barely escaped alive, and she wants to know why. You know what it's like to be the last of a clan, and agree to help her find out why these raiders and her people turned on her. She says they killed her entire extended family. Oh, shit. Her sister, children, oh. and all her grandchildren. What the fuck? She only just finished burying them. After honoring the dead, the two of you ride off for Golden Temple, that sanctuary for survivors we keep sending people to. Yeah. When you visit this temple and others like it, you can run into people that you've saved and they'll thank you and sometimes give you items and shit to help your cause. Lady Masako is worried she might see a traitor there and asks you to find a monk named Sogin and to tell him what happened to Clan Adachi. Yeah, she's just been double-crossed a lot. Like, it's reasonable she's a little apprehensive. Yeah, she says that he'll be able to tell you if it's safe for her to enter the temple. When you tell him the story, he offers her refuge. You relay the message, and she says that Sogin is full of shit. <laughs> he visited her home the day before the attack. He never visits. So the attack happening the following day, that's a big red flag. Mm. He was obviously on a scouting mission. She wants to track him now that he knows she's nearby to see what he does. She's like, he's going to go tell. He's going to get some fucking people to jump me. Let's keep eyes out. And the two of you follow him as he sneaks out of the temple. While tracking, you're like, you just wanted him to know you're working with a samurai, didn't you? <laughs> Bitch can flex. She's like, fuck, yes, I did. And Sogan eventually sneaks off to a camp of thieves and bandits who are taking advantage of the chaos of the Mongol invasion to steal from their neighbors. It's all Yuna's friends. <laughs> no, she doesn't know these people. Okay. But, like, she would be friends with them. She probably knows at least one. Okay. Yeah, not just steal from their neighbors. In some cases, wipe an entire bloodline off the face of the earth. Oof. You kill the bandits and find Sogan hiding in a building. Lady Moscow confronts him, asking why he did that. And Sogan says he's just trying to embrace the new world. The old families aren't going to be in charge anymore, and they need to be removed. This is sending Lady Moscow through the fucking roof. Absolutely. His reasoning was, ah, shit's different now. You know, shit's crazy. And she's like, are you, I just buried everyone I know. Fuck you. And you keep holding her back saying you need to know who he works for so you can hunt them down. But Sogan says that, Times, they are a-changing, and that those in the way must be removed. To which Lady Masako finally snaps, yelling, They were children! And she hacks away at Sogan with her sword until there's nothing left. Hell yeah, she does. Fuck that guy. You send the blood-soaked widow outside to calm down <laughs> and search the area. You find a list of names with a symbol on it that includes Sogan, and you take it to her to see if she recognizes the others on it. Lady Moscow says the dead men outside have the same symbol, but she doesn't recognize it. Oh. She agrees to join your cause if you agree to help her find the people who killed the entirety of Clan Adachi after. And here's a quick overview of how that all goes down throughout the game. You follow the list, killing your way through it like Kill Bill. You bury a few more family members. We find out Lady Moscow was having an affair with one of the lady servants in her home who was also on the list. Oh, shit. And the list leads you to the betrayer which happens to be Lady Masako's sister. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Who Lady Masako basically forces to unalive herself for her betrayal. Oh, God. And that all happens over the course of the game. She's an important character because we need her for the battle. 
But yeah, that's the end of the Adachi line. Dramatic. As you are starting to accumulate your crew, you still need more warriors and decide to pay the Straw Hat Clan a visit. You know, this group of individualists. With the matching hats, yes. Going off a lead you got from the first Straw Hat you met, you go to the area where they are said to be inhabiting. You find a hat on the ground in the woods, and a Mongol runs up behind you, sword drawn and with the advantage. Then some dude comes out of fucking nowhere and kills the Mongol. Oh shit. Saving you. His clothes are mostly handmade, and he looks like he could easily camouflage into the surrounding forest if he wanted. Like, for his cloak, he's just got a bunch of dried leaves that make him look like a gigantic bird, basically. Oh, sneaky sneaks. And he looks at you and is like, no way. Jin Sakai? You know him, too. His name is Ryuzo. You say to him, you look like a scarecrow. <laughs> Jin's funny. Then the two laugh and share an embrace, as you two are clearly old friends. I love that. He's like, hey, dipshit, thanks, by the way. You tell him you're looking for his leader, and he says that he died on the beach with the samurai. Mm. Most of the Straw Hats did. The few who remain, he is not about to ask to go to battle for a politician. Oh, yeah, that tracks. For Tsushima, they'd fight, but not for one man. Yeah, for glory, not for just homeboy. Besides, they're a broken group now, and most of his men are starving. You remind him that Lord Shimura is very wealthy. If the Straw Hats help him escape, he will pay handsomely, and his men will never hunger again. A group of Mongols come looking for their dead friend, and the two of you team up and kill the invaders, paying them back for killing both of your groups on the beach. He's still not convinced. The Straw Hats have so few supplies, they're not going to survive. You ask to be taken to them, and the two of you discuss ways to solve the hunger issue in order to get them to join you. You don't really come up with one, other than attack a nearby fort that has stolen other people's rice and millet, mm. and take it back for yourselves. You get to the Straw Hat camp, and they're like, cool, our new leader brought more people and no food. <laughs> you are not being helpful, buddy. Great job, Ryuzo. You propose the raid, and they reluctantly agree. You dress up as one of them and ride on the fort. Oh, so you get your own little hat. Yeah, you get your own little hat. During the attack, we get some more relationship building, buddy-buddy dialogue between Ryuzo and Jin. Almost like a brotherly relationship. Okay, so they definitely probably grew up together. They've known each other forever. Very friendly. But during this conversation, Ryuzo references a duel between the two from their past that he clearly is still bitter about. Hey, remember that duel? But he doesn't want to talk about it in the middle of a murder spree, so we'll do that later. <laughs> we'll circle back to that one. After killing everyone in the fort, they find out the food was taken to some boats nearby to be shipped away to the Mongol forces on mainland Japan. You go to the harbor and sneak on the boats with the stolen food. Just as you start gathering up the food, the Mongols shoot flaming arrows onto their own ship. Just because they see you there? Just to burn the supplies you're here to take. Ugh, they're sneaky. You both jump off the boat and swim back to shore. You tell Ryuzo it's not a total loss. You found a map showing the Mongol force strongholds, along with the paths they're using for supplies. Oh, shit. You're reluctant to hand it over because it's really very valuable outside of supply lines. Yeah. And Ryuzo's like, dude, I'm their leader. I need a win or I'm going to lose them. You trade it in exchange for his help in the battle to save your uncle. 
After securing the help of Ryuzo and the Straw Hats, you meet up with Yuna to make a plan to rescue her brother, as you still need him to make a grappling hook in order to sneak into Castle Kaneda. Earlier, she mentioned a friend that could help you get into the captured town, and she is speaking with this friend when you approach. And he's probably my favorite character in the game. Oh, fun! His name is Kenji, and he's the island's sake salesman. <laughs> he's the beer rep? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a nervous kind of guy, he's just very mousy. But he's also crafty, as his method of staying alive is by doing his job. He just doesn't discriminate who he does business with. He's like, don't kill me. I can hook you up with three barrels on wholesale, okay? Yeah, if it includes the Mongols, because Mongols like to get drunk too, and they'll keep him alive if he can continue to get them all liquored up. He's a charismatic bartender. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yuna's plan is to have Kenji make a delivery of sake to the town, and the two of you will hide in the wagon. This way, you can infiltrate the town in secret. Kenji hates the idea, and he throws up every roadblock he can think of. Well, you can't fuck with his business. Yeah, but Yuna doesn't give a shit and tells him he's doing it. Good. Yuna's bad. I love her. Well, Yuna and Kenji actually grew up together. Oh, that's her scarecrow buddy. Yeah, she was the first person to actually try a batch of his sake. Oh, he makes the sake himself, Yeah, too? he makes it himself, too. Oh, he's a brewmaster. That's fucking sick. Yeah, she said it tasted like piss, but he's gotten a little better since then. A little better. <laughs> Once inside, Kenji throws a little party around his cart, giving out free samples and being a salesman. Kind of like Arthur and Hosea serving up free shots and roads. Oh, totally. While he gets the soldiers good and drunk, you and Yuna go find her brother, the blacksmith. The moment you see him, Yuna just runs in with her knife and kills the guards before they even know she's there. <laughs> she's also not about to survey and be like, okay, are there other people patrolling who has eyes? She's like, nope, straight to murder. The three of you sneak out and rejoin Kenji just down the road a bit. Taka wants to get the fuck off Tsushima. Reasonably. But promises to make the grappling hook as repayment for saving his life. Because he really thought that was the end. Oh, okay. So he actually will follow through with this. That's good. As you rescue people throughout the game, you're also liberating towns and villages from Mongol forces. Lots of prisoners and town folk watch you just slaughter these fully trained invaders with ease. Hell yeah. And even though you're saving everyone, the people are getting scared of you. Oh, because of the bloodlust. Everyone on Tsushima has seen some form of dispute get handled by a samurai. They're kind of like medieval knights in that sense. Right. So people have a sense of decorum when it comes to a samurai. Yeah, there's a lot of respect there, right? There's respect, and they expect respect in return. Yeah. But Jin, he is unlike any samurai they've ever seen. And he is fucking ruthless, <laughs> leaving dismembered corpses just in his path. Oof. And Yuna encourages it. Yuna loves chaos. I love her. She keeps calling him a vengeful spirit back from the dead to avenge the fallen samurai. Oh, she's creating lore around him? That's oh, yeah. sick. She's like a really good hype man. Entirely. The people of Tsushima are very superstitious. And throughout the game, you'll encounter people saying, help, there's a demon in the forest or some shit like that. And I kept getting worried this game would go into the mystical realm. Yeah. And fortunately never did. Just superstition. There's not actual demons. Yeah, yeah. The worst is, again, your wind dad. Right. And the demon in the forest is always just some asshole. <laughs> it's just someone who's like perched up, like throwing rocks at people and shit. Yeah, or sometimes they're doing some actually bad shit. This game is extremely brutal. Like you will come across just 
dead bodies constantly throughout mm. the game. Just this Mongol invasion is that terrible. Oof. Anyway, Jin hates that the people are saying all this about him. He wants them to look up to him, not fear him. Yeah. But Yuna explains it's a fear of respect. And that he should use that to his advantage. She's like, no, no, it's reverence. Like, we're building this character for you and we're giving you power in that. Like, the power is perhaps perceived as fear, but it's also respect of who you are and what you're capable of. And he's like, yeah, they think I'm a fucking crazy murderer. And she's like, yeah, but that's kind of cool, right? Right. They're like, but they, they know you're on their side, so they're fine with it. That's true. And since we're dealing with country bumpkins... The name of the vengeful spirit that is Samurai Lord Jin Sakai gets simplified to the ghost. Oh, yeah. As Taka finishes the grappling hook called a Kaginawa, Ryuzo comes riding into town begging for help. The Mongols have captured his best men, and they are scheduled for execution. Yes, it's sad if they die, but also without them, you won't be able to storm Castle Kaneda, so you agree to help free them. On your way to free them, you ask Ryuzo why he chose a life of basically being a mercenary over being a samurai. And Ryuzo says he didn't really have an option after your duel. And you're like, oh yeah, the duel. The one from the tournament. And this is the first time we've heard about this tournament. <laughs> why couldn't you become a samurai after that? Ryuzo says that when he saw he was scheduled to duel you in the tournament, he invited every master on the island to come watch. Oh, honey, he was trying to get scouted and shit? Yeah, he considered this his audition to show, like, what he could do. And they got the shit kicked out of him? Yeah, and then you beat the ever-living shit out of him like you were actually out to kill. Oh, honey. You don't really understand. That was the point of the duel. Someone had to win, and you always fight to win. Yeah. <laughs> Your defense is the context. Aruzo says, Your first name is Lord. <laughs> You're Lord Jin Sakai. My name's Ryuzo. That's it. It's like, buddy, come on. That duel was supposed to be his ticket to becoming a samurai. Instead, he was humiliated, and nobody wanted him as an apprentice after that. They could have had this conversation before the duel. <laughs> right? You'd think he would have at least asked his buddy, but he just kind of assumed it. So it's a little on his fault entirely. Yeah, I mean, he clearly put, tried to put his thumb on the scale by being like, let me invite a bunch of people. I'm getting exposure, but let me not have this conversation. Even if he was like, hey, by the way, Lord, I'm bringing all of the fucking scouting masters out there. Like, if you are in a football team and you're seeing that like you're getting college recruiters and shit out there, you know, you're going to be like, all right, guys, don't fuck up. Right. Uh, <laughs> this is a recruiting round, you know, like a lot of problems can always be solved with just the bare minimum communication. <laughs> communication is key. He was instead forced to become what is called a Ronin, someone who basically trained themselves to be a samurai. Oh, no, like a YouTube university samurai? Yeah, he's like those guys who collect swords and think that makes them an expert at using them. The guy that lives down the street opens his garage and plays with his swords? Yeah, except Ryuzo actually put his money where his mouth is instead of on the wall in his uncle's cool garage. Okay, so he's, like, good at it. Yeah. When you regroup with the remaining straw hats, Ryuzo finds out some have quit and left the group. Oh, damn it. They just couldn't wait for him to get his shit together. They were on the brink of dying in starvation. This guy, his self-esteem is taking a lot of hits. I'm not going to lie. Oh, man. His self-esteem is black and bruised right now. Mm, like he was after the tournament. And the problem is it's hard to argue their reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, 
shit. But Ryuzo's doing his best to, like, hold his composure as he rallies the remains of his group to save the others. The encampment is up on a hill, and this serves as a tutorial section for your grappling hook. Oh, good. Which is a good time to kind of talk about one of the biggest recurring mechanics in the game. Climbing. This game is Ninja Warrior to Uncharted's Wipeout. Hell yeah. Like, what is it with Sony exclusives and climbing? Because it's really important to, like, the Horizon series, too, from what I understand. Yeah, they love climbing. But yeah, you climb mountains pretty much nonstop through the whole game, defying gravity the whole way. You free the prisoners, and now you have enough people to storm Castle Kanada and save Lord Shimura. We are treated to another scene with Lord Shimura and Kotun Khan. Kotun tells Lord Shimura that his men keep telling him of a samurai who is killing Mongols in the most brutal of fashions. Like a ghost. Finding stab wounds in people's backs and everything. Not very in line with the samurai code of honor. Lord Shimura refuses to believe it, because Lord Sakai would never break the code. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. And this is all just a scare tactic. Kotun laughs, knowing he's not lying. And he again offers surrender, as it's the only thing that will stop his nephew from going full lunatic murder machine. Because now Jin's a wanted man, and the choice is join him, or he's going to collect Jin's head. Oof. Of course, Lord Shimura refuses, and we're taken back to Jin and his ragtag team of warriors at the base of Castle Kanada. Everyone except Ryuzo and the Straw Hats. They are, at the very least, running late. But you don't want to hold your breath, and you decide to begin. You meet with the group, Sensei Ishikawa, Yuna, and Lady Masako as well as Taka and Kenji, the sake dealer. Kenji's job is to prepare for a party for after they rescue Lord Shimura. I love that he's like, all right, you, you're the archer. You, your brute force. You, get the party started. PPC, party planning committee. Hell yeah. And Taka isn't a fighter, but he'll be ready to help with the escape. So it's four against an army of Mongols fortifying a castle. But they have a party planning committee, so... Yeah, this should go well. Oh. You sneaky sneak your way into the castle grounds, kill some guards, and open the front gates to let your friends in. You each have your own mission, and Yuna joins you on yours, which is to keep going until you reach your uncle. You cross the bridge Koten yeeted you off earlier, and sneak into the next section of the castle. Yuna can't climb and waits for you to open the door for her. When you sneak in, Ryuzo is on the other side, casually waiting with his sword slung over his shoulder. He says that Koten Khan put a bounty on the ghost, and his men are starving. You try to reason, saying Lord Shimura will take care of the Straw Hats if they help him now. Not only that, he'll make Ryuzo a real samurai, no more being a ronin. Wow. Ryuzo's all, yeah, there's a beach full of bodies of the last guys he made samurais. No thank you. <laughs> He's like, actually, that offer is not as enticing as it was when I was younger. Oh, damn. So the two friends draw their swords in a rematch of the duel that changed the destiny for at least one of them. And in this rematch, the results were the same. And we see Ryuzo's hat fall to the ground. Oh. Ryuzo staggers off and you ask him again to please help save your uncle. But that cowardly shit cries out that the ghost is here. And Koten's soldiers come out and attack you while he runs off bleeding everywhere. Son of a bitch! You fight your way through the forces and finally find your uncle. He's alive and well, and you cut him free. He says that Koten has moved north to a place called Toyotama, which is the name of the middle third region of the map. 
Lord Shimura says he left a decent amount of people behind to keep this castle. But there'll be no match for two samurai. Hell yeah. That's when you tell him, oh no, we have like three other people helping too. <laughs> Buddy, we've got three and a sake party planned for afterwards. Lord Shimura says that they will sing songs of our victory. Oh. We get an epic battle scene as you rejoin the others and fight the Mongol army together, fighting side by side, master and apprentice, uncle and nephew. Beautiful. Reclaiming Castle Kanada for the people of Tsushima. Hell yeah. You all claim victory for the day, but know that the battle is not over, as Koten is marching north, and he can move quickly. We are then taken north, to a cold and snowy Castle Shimura. Yes, that Shimura. Koten has a line of three people tied up, and there's piles of wood underneath them. Oh god, they love fire. He's yelling to the guards of Castle Shimura to let him enter, as these people are cold. Then he walks over to Ryuzo, who's with him, and hands him a flaming torch. God damn it. Ryuzo says his men still haven't been fed. And Koten tells Ryuzo he needs to earn it. Ugh. Ryuzo walks up to one of the prisoners, and the man screams out to the castle, begging them to open the gates. But they don't. And Ryuzo, reluctantly, lowers the torch to the wood. Oh my god. And watches and listens as this man screams out in pain and dies engulfed in flame. Mm. Still, the guards do nothing. And Ryuzo moves on to the next person. This time, Ryuzo starts screaming out to the castle Shimura to open the door. And he's yelling so insanely, his voice even cracks. Oh, honey. And finally, the doors open. And Ryuzo drops to his knees, sobbing as Koten marches his army through the now-open gates. We're taken back to Jin, who is meditating at a memorial shrine, honoring those who fell in the retaking of Castle Kanada. Yuna approaches, saying Lord Shimura wants to talk to you. You ask why she hasn't left Tsushima yet, and she says your uncle still hasn't paid her. <laughs> you try to convince her to stick around, as she's good in a fight, but she's like, fuck that, I'm out. Yeah, she's like, reasonably, I want to get away from this war-torn land. Yeah. You meet with your uncle, and he's all, so, we need to talk about these rumors I heard about you. <laughs> heard you've been fighting. Basically, he's grateful you saved him, but you need to knock that brutal bullshit off and fight the way he taught you. It's the only way to restore Tsushima the way it was. You kind of sidestep the situation and ask him to grant Yuna safe passage off the island. He says that if she promises to help retake Castle Shimura, He'll have control over the seas again, and then he can get her out of here. Okay, that's reasonable. Yeah, it's about the best you can hope for in the moment. Yeah, because it's also like, you mentioned the Mongols rolled up with like boats on boats on boats. So Full navy, yeah. Yeah, so securing at least some safe passage by boat is very important, so he's being very reasonable. The rest of your allies go off into the new area of the map, chasing after their own personal demons. And they agree that when the time comes, they'll help retake Castle Shimura as well. <laughs> I have my own drama. Text me when you need me. Call me, beat me. Except Yuna. She's pissed because of course you have more for her to do. God forbid she get payment for what she's owed. But what other option does she have? Yeah, right. What, you gonna call HR? Get over it. Right. As you and your uncle head into the new area of the map together, he tells you that he learned of Koten Khan's plan while under captivity which isn't much more than take over everything. 
profit? Cochin wanted Lord Shimura to join him to help move it all along quicker. He says that just for thinking he would turn on his own people, Cochin will pay with his life. Oh my god. The Sakai Manor, your father's ancestral home, is in this new region. Lord Shimura says that if you're going to go into battle, you're going to need your father's old armor. But first, let's let Koten Khan know we're coming for him. Hell yeah. The two of you take back a lighthouse from a Mongol group, and Yuna shows up to help. Your uncle asks what use she can provide. And she says that the people of Yarikawa, a large, unoccupied town in this region, have a militia and can help. Oh shit. Lord Shimura says that Yarikawa tried to overthrow him once, and he won. So they're not his biggest fans. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I grew up there. I'm very aware of how unpopular you are. But the people there love her, and they're likely to listen to her if she says to help Lord Shimura. Plus, he's still better than the Mongols. Yeah. Also, Yuna, just like in general, very resourceful. Like, she has friends in different pockets. If she grew up in like the second middle section of the map, but she's still... In the lower section of the map, she's making friends. She's like, my best friend's a bartender. She's that bitch that knows everyone. She's a sneak thief. She's like stealthy. Now, trust in Yuna. I mean, you can't really trust her because thief, but like trust her enough. Well, I mean, she was fighting for survival before the Mongols ever showed up. Yeah. Her whole life has been survival. Yeah, she's a little street rat, and I love that about her. Yuna goes back to her brother. And you and your uncle light the signal fire to show Koten you've retaken the area. Lord Shimura says the next stop is to alert the Shogun that the Mongols have invaded and ask for reinforcements from the big main island of Japan. He tells you to go to a place called Umugi Cove and find a pirate named Goro. Oh, there's pirates now. Yeah. Hell yeah. He owes Lord Shimura a favor. It's the only way he'll be able to get something past the Mongol navy. Before heading out to find this pirate, Goro, a monk that was being held captive at Castle Canada wants to see you. His name is Norio, and he's a husky, soft-spoken warrior monk. He and a few of his brothers were headed for the beach invasion, but were late. And by the time they reached Castle Canada, Koten was already there. Oh no. And Norio was the only survivor. He says that if he can get back to his temple, he and the other warrior monks will fight on your side in the coming battle. And yeah, you have some side missions for this guy too, and it's great and heartbreaking and beautiful and if you should totally play the game <laughs> good plug you make it to umugi cove and find goro shit face drunk he's been drinking pretty much non-stop since the invasion wouldn't you yeah he just has given up he's just like whatever i'm going out i'm gonna go out happy yeah i mean like a lot of people drink to cope i'm not saying it's a good thing i'm just saying it's a thing but you know what he's a professional drunk and he begrudgingly agrees to pay back his debt to lord Shimura and take a note to the Shogun. For some reason, you don't have the note on you, and have to go get it from Lord Shibata. Goro agrees to sober up and get the boat ready in the meantime. He, he agrees to take a disco nap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lord Shibata is excited and decides to come with you to give Goro the message himself, just in case there's trouble on the way. And you bring a small group of soldiers with you. On the way, you find out he's owed a debt because he caught Goro selling illegal contraband to which the penalty is death. Oh, shit. He recognized his skill as a pirate and decided to let him live in exchange for his skill someday. Which is now. You meet up with Goro and never encountered anyone on the way. Lord Shimura says he never expected to. 
He brought soldiers in order to cause a scene so Goro can sail away. And he makes a plan to attack the Mongols that have taken the nearby harbor. So you go in Dutch Vanderlyn style and make a bunch of noise, <laughs> killing a small military outpost as you do as Goto escapes to the sea. As you and Lord Shimura celebrate your victory, he says that included in the message being carried by Goro are formal adoption papers, oh. declaring you, Jin, as his son and rightful heir. Oh my god! He waited a long time to do that, but that's still very beautiful. It is, isn't it? Yeah. This kicks off Act 2. Yeah. Retake Castle Shimura. The people of Tsushima are starting to see that the Mongols aren't unstoppable. You're taking back the island little by little, and now you have your samurai uncle, the Jito of Tsushima, by your side. Now he's older, but like clearly he's still a dick swinger, right? People fear him with respect. I love that. You next meet up with Yuna and Taka, who are outside their hometown of Yarikawa. It's a walled city and is protected from the outside world with their own little militia force. And they've so far successfully held off the Mongols. However, the Mongols have cut them off from the outside world, blocking all trade in and out of the city, and they are attempting to starve them out. Classic abuser and cult behavior, just keep them isolated. Very much so. So it's sneaky sneak time. Yeah. These two grew up here. So they know all the secret entrances from playing hide-and-seek as kids. <laughs> Once inside, some Yarikawa guards at the secret entrance ask who you stole your samurai armor from. And Taka says that you're the ghost. <gasps> they say that Ujimasa Yarikawa, the lord of the town, will want to see you. He knows who you are and is shocked that Lord Shimura's nephew is the ghost. Hmm. Lord Shimura once came down hard on the Yarikawa family for doing something similar. Really? He's like, you guys can't be sneaky sneaks. And you're like, dude, you tried to overthrow him. That's different. Oh, that makes sense. And Yuna jumps in and stops the pissing match. <laughs> Yarikawa questions why a local would work with Lord Shimura. And she says she doesn't work for anyone. Hell yeah. She's working with the ghost. But that's a big difference. You ask for his help in the coming battle, but Yarikawa seems to think Koten will honor whatever this live and let live deal is that he has with Lord Shimura, and that Yarikawa will be fine, and he dismisses you. Yuna gets you in touch with a high-ranking member of the local militia, and you help him get some supplies back. For some reason, Taka is showing a sudden urge to fight, despite being a pacifist so far. Mm-hmm. Yuna is pissed that you let him help because he somehow survives this. <laughs> and this is making her angry. Yeah, because he was like bumbling around the whole time and he really just kind of survived the fight. Yeah. The general is impressed and says he'll convince Lord Yarikawa to join the fight. Plus, his men are really excited they get to fight with the ghost on their team. <laughs> We've heard about you. We're really excited to be here. Love your work. He does convince Lord Yarikawa to trust you and he more or less agrees to help. That night, you and Yuna break into a case of Kenji's sake and get to know each other a little better. Oh, I love that. Just a little bonding, you know, yeah. knock a couple back. You've been fighting by each other's side for a while now, so, you know, might as well get to know each other. And she has a big guard up, you know, she's a little street rat, she's fucking, she's a thief, she's sneaky sneaks. It's, it's nice to get her a little more vulnerable and get to know the real her. Well, we find out why she's all those things. She reveals that when Taka was six... Their mom got really drunk 
and beat him to the point she broke his arm. Holy shit. So she ran away with him, and mom was found dead in the street a month later. Oh, shit. It's been just the two of them ever since. Is it implied that she went back to her mom for revenge? No, that her mom passed out drunk in an alley and died. Oh, God. So her mom was just messy as fuck. So she'd had to be like the sister in Shameless to like raise her brother. Right. It's giving Fiona Gallagher. With this mood killer on the air, (laughs) the two of you quietly drink until you fall asleep. Then she's a drunk now as an adult because of it and drinks herself to sleep. Oh, honey. Therapy, but okay. And just as you doze off, the Mongols attack the front gates of Yarikawa, and you have to fight off the invaders. Drunk? You've got a ninja's constitution. <laughs> you pass that constitution check because you're like, oh no. It's very funny when you're like partying as a player and then you have to get into something serious. Like, I want Arthur Morgan to be drunk in every mission, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just going, you'll never take me alive. But I guess that makes sense in real life situations. You would be like, I'm sober now. Yeah. They managed to make their way into the city and towards the main palace where Lord Yadikawa lives. You confront the leader of this attack, who is feet from the steps leading up to the palace. You battle him, and as you defeat him, he staggers away severely injured and his men rush to his aid. But you grab their leader like a hostage, and you're given the button prompt, slaughter. Oh, slaughter! Slaughter! You decapitate him in front of his (gasps) men. Oh my god. This unlocks a badass ability in the game called Ghost Mode. Ghost Mode. And basically, you become so fucking scary to the enemies. (gasps) They run in fear at the sight of you. Really? Okay, so explain this to me visually. Like, is anything about your presence different? Your presence, not necessarily. The screen goes black and white. Oh, oh, that's cool. Everybody kind of moves in like the slow motion for you. And like these people will trip over shit, fall on the ground and like back away in absolute terror. This is so fucking cool. And then, yeah, it's just like a single button press and they're dead. That's rad. Holy shit. I want that mode in every game. It's wonderful and so satisfying when you trigger it. Once the Yadikawa militia members see you make those men cower in fear, Mm -hmm. it inspires them and they overtake the rest of the Mongol invaders. They're like, we're all with the ghost. Let's go. Once the fight is over, you give a rousing speech to the citizens of the town asking for their help. There's that politician in you, that lineage of leading people coming together. And they give a resounding. Yeah. No. Oh, there's like 15 of their best fighters left and the rest are Farmers and shit. Oh, so they're like, look around. No. And he says, you look around. Who just drove off those invaders? And Taka stands up and said, we did. And Yuna, standing on the still burning remains of her hometown, realizes this doesn't stop until the Mongols are stopped. If she runs, they just keep coming. But if she stops them, she doesn't have to run. Yeah. And she finally stands up and straight tells her hometown, they're fucking fighting. Yuna comes up and says, get your shit together. We're doing this. I fucking love her. Yuna's amazing. Having watched Yuna cope with her homecoming, (laughs) you decide it's time to finally go back to your old stomping grounds and get your dad's armor. I love that you kind of just grew up in the next town over from her. Like, you guys could have been best friends. Entirely. The place is long deserted 
And as you go to where your dad's armor used to be, you see that it's gone. Of course, everything's been looted. That absolutely makes sense. That we're in a war-torn area. And you get ambushed from behind by your old head of house, Yuriko. Oh, shit! And she recognizes the boy she raised immediately. She says, your dad's armor is hidden in case the Mongols were to come. She's been staying at her place off the grounds, just barely keeping the main house kept up. Mm. While she fetches the armor... You return to your father's grave to pay your respects and write a fun little haiku. Is it fun? Not really, no. Okay. You return to the house where Yuriko has set up the armor. And you don the mask you last saw being worn by your dying father. That man. As a man stood over him saying, may your death benefit all beings. Ugh. You return to talk to Yuriko, and in casual conversation, she mentions using some plants around the area to make a rat poison for her garden. Poison. You're like, poison. And you convince her to teach you how to make poison blow darts from plants you'll find around the map. Blow dart. Oh, that's a very classic ninja thing, too, right? Is blow darts. Yeah. I feel like I've seen that imagery before. Very much so. Oh, that's cool. I'm glad you made the connection to ninja because I don't think I would have gotten there on my own. Yeah, I didn't really make the connection playing the game necessarily because I was kind of curious. I was like, I didn't know enough about history to like really make that connection yet. Yeah, neither do I. Because I was kind of like, I feel like he's kind of a ninja. Is that what I'm seeing here? And then I looked into it. And I was like, oh, okay, ninjas showed up shortly after this time period. It's so. like a generation or two off. Yeah, so I kind of made that connection that that's what they're going for here. He's going from the samurai to the ninja. Yeah, she's not thrilled about making poison. <laughs> she's like, this is not my energy. But she'll do anything for her surrogate son. Mm, thank you, Alfred of the house. And in this second section of the map, you encounter a village where the townsfolk are not under siege, but they are all driven insane by some unseen force. Oh no, you can't trust it when an entire town is insane. The people you try talking to think there are demons surrounding them, like they're hallucinating. You search around and find a single Mongol tent. While digging through it, a Mongol soldier finds you and tells you that the eagle is calling for you. Oh, no. You don't know who or what the eagle is, and you don't care. So you kill the Mongol and his small band of soldiers. But leave one just barely alive so they can give you some information. Hey, man, what's the eagle? The eagle is a general in the Mongol invader's army. Oh. She is currently on another island called Iki Island, conquering it. Okay, feminism. He says that these people driven mad are being called to the eagle. And soon, she will bring all of Iki Island to Tsushima and conquer it like she did Iki. This opens up a path for you to follow that will take you to Iki Island, where you need to confront the eagle and prevent her from coming to Tsushima. Iki Island is the DLC for this game. Oh, that's right. And it's damn near a full-blown sequel. Really? Yeah. Like, just a whole-ass campaign. Yeah, for example, all these times we've seen Jin's dad die, we always hear his killer say, may your death benefit all beings. Yeah. Jin's dad died on Iki Island. Oh, shit. So we find out in the Iki Island DLC all about Jin's dad and their relationship and what it was like, and he deals with all his daddy issues over there. Oh, <laughs> it's Therapy Island. You can go to Iki Island anytime you want after Act 2, but I wouldn't recommend it until at minimum Act 3. Okay, I mean, did you do it after you completed the main campaign? 
No, you can do it after the main campaign. I did it after I got through Act 2 and went into Act 3. Okay, just kind of as like, hey, let's jam this out and see what it is. And it turned out to be a whole ass campaign. Entirely. And it's a bitch of a fight over there. Really? Yeah, but it's really good. I really enjoyed it. And we're going to go over that on the Patreon. Is that right? Yeah, if you want to hear what happens on Iki Island, that's exclusive to our Patreon. It did drop today. Woohoo! So if you want to support the show and find out what happens on Iki Island, sign up and you can listen right now. Oh, we have a new Patreon, don't we? Literally, while we were recording this episode, we had a new member sign up on our executive washroom tier. Ooh! And their name is Jacob. So welcome, Jacob. Hi, Jacob. And if you too want to support the show, you can sign up for our Patreon. You can find out information on it on our website, theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. And if you can't support the show monetarily, we totally understand. If you want to at least give us a shout out, though, on your social media, let everybody know that you are listening to The Other Castle. That is another way that you can support us. Yeah, we'd appreciate it. Thank you, friends. Anyway, back to the show. We're heading back to Uncle Lord Shimura, and he is very pleased with your ability to convince the people of Yarikawa to fight by his side. Isn't he kind of dad now? Yeah. Adoption papers are still in transit. Oh, okay. Sorry, we have to drill with some bureaucracy here. Yeah, it's not official yet. Okay. But his men have intercepted a message from Koten to Ryuzo. Mm, that snake. The Straw Hats are ready to ambush Lord Shimura's troops just outside Castle Shimura. He wants to ambush them first. And he's like, I know Ryuzo is your friend. Can you do this? And you tell him that the friendship is pretty much over after the last confrontation. <laughs> He's kind of a dick, so yeah, I'm cool if we fight again. So he wants you to confront Ryuzo directly and stop them. Yeah, absolutely. You go to recruit Yuna for the fight, and she and Taka are preparing to get off the island. You're confused, because back at Yadikawa, she seemed all ants. Yeah, she helped rally the troops. And she says she just did that because it was the only way to get Lord Shimura to arrange a boat for her and Taka. Oh, yeah, okay. Because her only priority is keeping Taka safe. That's been her priority her whole life. I, I kind of get that. You beg her to come on one last mission, but she tells you that her plan to leave Tsushima started ages before the Mongols showed up. Lord Shimura is just making it possible, finally, as payment for getting Yarikawa to fight in the upcoming battle. You don't love her reasoning, but you accept that you can't make someone fight. Yeah. And let her and Taka go. Deciding to go for Ryuzo after nightfall so you can sneak in easier. With the moon high in the sky, you scout the area. And while scouting, Taka comes running up behind you. Oh. Saying that Yuna may have been acting in Yadikawa, but he wasn't. <gasps> oh. He says he owes you his life. So he wants to help by creating a distraction and draw troops away from the encampment. Yuna's going to be pissed. Yeah, and you don't love it either. And tell him to just... You know, if you're going to do this, haul fucking ass back home as soon as this distraction happens. <laughs> you do it and you get the fuck out of here. And like, I thought he'd blow something up or make a loud noise in the forest or something. Yeah. No, this dumbass <laughs> rides his horse to the front gate and yells out that he's going to tell Lord Shibata where they're hiding. What the fuck? Is he three? Yeah. <laughs> and he rides off into the night like a madman laughing. That's a bad plan. It's a bad plan, but it gets a grip of them to ride after him, leaving like a very small group for you to deal with. After dealing with them, you find Ryuzo and he's like, oh, thank God you're here. Mm. He made sure his messages got intercepted so you'd know where he was. Mm -hmm. He says that if the two of you go speak to Kotenkan together, 
He'll let you rule all of Tsushima together. Mm. You just have to pledge allegiance to the cons. There it is. Fuck you. Ryuzo considers this a losing battle, and he just wants to be on the winning side. For once. <laughs> He's like, I've been a loser literally our entire lives, mostly because of you. But together we can win if we join the winning team. And you're like, fuck you. Please tell me you're like, fuck you. Yeah, obviously you don't feel the same. Yeah. And this little rat fink Ryuzo nods his head, and one of his men sneaks up behind you and knocks you out cold. Son of a bitch. You wake up to the sound of Taka calling your name. As you open your eyes, you see that the two of you are tied up to a couple of poles. Oh no. He says that when you didn't return, he came back for you and got himself caught in the process. Wait, so he did get away from that terrible fucking plan only to come back and get captured? Yep. Jesus. As you struggle to break free, Taka's eyes widen in terror. Koten Khan himself is walking up behind you, carrying a giant wine goblet that we've seen once before. Oh no. He offers you a drink from it, which mm. you refuse. He takes a huge swig from it himself, then offers it to Taka. Says it's milk from his favorite horse. Her final gift after breaking her leg yesterday carrying around his gigantic ass. Oh my god. And I'm not fat shaming, he's just huge in general, and he's always wearing another hundred pounds of armor on top of it. Also, what the fuck is horse milk? Yeah, well, the rest of his horse went to feeding the men, so. Mm. Mammals make milk, I guess. Yeah. He tries to get you to join him, explaining that the ghost has become the most feared and respected person on this island. You gotta love that word of mouth marketing. If you swear allegiance to the cons, the whole island will follow, and he will spare the rest of the people of Tsushima, calling off his army. Still, you refuse, as your uncle did before you. Koten picks up a sword and walks over to Taka. He says to Taka that the legendary ghost refuses to fight for him. And with a swing of his sword, he cuts the ropes holding Taka. Oh my god, I was so scared. And he hands the sword to Taka, saying, if you kill the ghost right now, you're free to go. <gasps> oh my god. Taka takes the sword, not believing what he's just been handed. Being a blacksmith and not a warrior, Jin can see what his intentions are from a mile away mm. and tries to stop him. But Taka can't help himself. Koten saw it coming too, and he knocks Taka to the ground as he tries to take a swing on Koten. Koten steps on Taka, and with a combination of cutting and tearing, oh. removes Taka's head. Oh my god, that's so brutal! So fucking brutal. Yuna's gonna kill this dude herself. Yuna's gonna rip him the fuck apart. Koten holds it up for you and is like, I can do this all day. And he stomps off to collect another of your friends. And he leaves you there with the headless corpse of Taka at your feet. Oh my god, this is so violent. All alone, you break out of your bandages and get your gear back. You kill the remaining troops, and as you leave the encampment, Yuna shows up. No. She says Taka left a note saying he came to help. Oh no. And she's here to make sure he's all right. I'm going to cry. I'm so upset right now. You have to tell her. He's not. She runs to where his body is laying, and the camera snaps to an extreme wide shot of basically the whole island. Oh my god. As Yuna's scream echoes through the land. Oh, fuck. Her one reason 
gone. She tries to blame you for being so damn inspiring, but also knows Taka was a helper. Yeah. She accepts that ultimately, Taka made his decision. As more Mongols show up to the camp, you try to get her to flee with you, and she's like, hell no. Let's murder these motherfuckers. Hell yeah, Sadie fucking Adler in the house. And the two of you cover the encampment in the blood of your enemies. Good. The two of you bury Taka together high on a hillside overlooking the ocean. I like that this game does have such a reverence for, I don't want to say mourning, but like death and respect for those that have fallen that you do take time to bury people like Taka. And like, I'm, I'm really affected right now. Like, I'm really fucked up about it, especially for Yuna. I keep telling you, Yuna's the best fucking character. I'm losing my mind right now. Fuck. Well, Sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's great. I, I love that you're feeling this much for Yuna because she's a huge, wonderful character. And she goes through an incredible arc. But as you were saying about the respect for the dead, so remember when I said swiping up on the center touchpad blows the wind? Mm -hmm. It's also how you get your flute out, but it's also how you bow. Oh. And there's shrines all over that are for like the dead. They're, they're honoring different things. And when you bow in front of these things... It actually takes a moment and it acknowledges that you're doing this. Like, you can bow in front of the dead body of one of your enemies. Really? And you even say, like, thank you for the fight kind of thing. Thank you for what you gave and you tried it. Yeah, like honoring their death even. Oh, that's beautiful. It really is. It's, a, it's something they didn't need to include, but because it was such a big part of actual samurai culture, they did. That's incredible. Now, both of you want Ryuzo dead. Hell yeah. If there's a blame to be placed in all of this, it's on Ryuzo. Fuck that paper hat bitch. With no more reason to flee Tsushima, she vows to fight by your side until every last Mongol lays dead at your feet. Is it an honor thing for her as well to like, they took my brother away, so to avenge him, I need to take everything away from them? I think it's more revenge for her. Yeah, just like, fuck you. Yeah. It's not really honor, it's anger. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. For Yuna, it's more anger than anything. I love Yuna. She asks if Taka was brave in the end. And you tell her, he was always brave. <laughs> Fuck you. You send her back to Lord Shimura's camp to await the coming battle. Obviously, each of your friends from the first section are continuing their individual journeys as well. Sensei Ishikawa continues to chase Tomoe while training you as an archer. Lady Masako hunts her family's betrayer, knocking names off her list. And Brother Norio recruits the other warrior monks by helping them retake their temple. But being Act 2 of a three-act game, they're mostly filler missions. Yeah, <laughs> we're just trying to get to the end point here. Yeah, it's kill this group, sneak attack that group, shoot these guys. It's just increasing your skills more than progressing the plot. It's a grind. Very much so. They are all part of the coming attack as well, and they've been training recruits. When you return to the camp yourself, you're greeted with glorious news. Oh. The reinforcements from the Shogun have arrived, and you have a full-blown army of his best samurai on your side. Oh shit, the cavalry's here. As you prepare for battle, Kenji the sake dealer has found a new use for himself. I mean, he's a bartender. Is he going to be the plug now? Like, is he like, oh, I found some mushrooms and they make me see things. Like, let's party. Since he travels everywhere by cart selling his sake, he's actually one of the island's highest authorities on cart repair and, by proxy, building. Oh my god! His long-haul trucking has paid off in a weird way. This is fucking great. Yeah, so he's designed and, with the help of the late Taka, 
built a battering ram so you can <gasps> break down the castle doors during the battle. Wait, that's fucking sick. Taka's last gift to you is a battering ram? Actually, no. We'll get to that, though. Okay. But I mean, one of his last pieces of his legacy is creating a battering ram? That's fucking sick. Right? He's sad that Taka is dead, but he promises it'll work and Taka's legacy will be that of victory. Hell yeah, for Taka. You talk with Yuna, who hasn't eaten or slept since her brother died. Oh, God. She explains that Taka didn't die for Tsushima. He died for the ghost. When Yarikawa comes to fight, they won't be fighting for Tsushima. They'll be fighting for the ghost as well. Hell yeah. More and more people are joining the fight, not for their love of Tsushima, but for their faith in the ghost. He's an influencer, baby. She begs you not to make their sacrifices in vain. Hell yeah. I would never let this girl down. I love her. Then she hands you a mask and says it was going to be Taka's farewell gift. Oh. It was the last thing he ever made. <gasps> a mask fit for the ghost. Why are you trying to make me cry? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? It's I just thought, a video game. What's wrong with I you? Know, I thought we were going to have fun and do some sword jokes. And <laughs> I'm up in my feels. We're only in act two. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, the heartbreak has only just begun. Are you fucking serious? I'm, I'm not. It. God damn it. You meet with Uncle Lord Shimura, and he tells you that the adoption papers were approved. Oh. When this conflict is over, you will be the rightful heir to the Shimura name and everything that comes with it. But you can't be the ghost. You oh. have to be a samurai. You have to pick a lane. You have to stay strict to the code. And you take a nice big gulp of guilt and say, yes, uncle. Yeah. Today you fight as Sakai and Shimura. Master and apprentice. Uncle and nephew. Aww. Tomorrow, you celebrate as father and son. Oh. We are next treated to an exchange between Koten Khan and Ryuzo. Koten tells him that the samurai have a code of conduct that they refuse to break. So he knows he can handle any samurai that come his way, even if it's an army of them. Because, like, he's like, fuck the rules. Yeah. But the ghost, this dude has no code of conduct or morals. <laughs> So, we need someone else without a code to handle him. The ghost fights like he's in a video game. <laughs> and the Ronin Ryuzo nods an understanding. That motherfucker. We are taken back to the Shimura army as they approach the besieged castle Shimura. We basically get a repeat of the opening beach scene, except this time, the samurai are ready for the battle. Hell yeah. And instead of getting your asses kicked, you're the ones kicking ass. Let's go. And Kenji's battering ram is the key to breaking through those lines. Oh, I love that. The Mongols start to realize this and add extra reinforcement to a door. So you jump the wall in the meantime to handle the forces on the other side by yourself. You use poison darts and go into ghost mode, decapitating another general <laughs> and throwing it at his men. I love ghost mode. That's so fucking cool. Thing is... The battering ram got through the door while you were doing this. Oh, shit. And Uncle Lord Shimura just witnessed the true ghost for the first time. Oh, no, you got outed. Up until then, it was just stories. He dismissed his exaggerations. But he just watched you throw a head 
while two guys bleed from the mouth to death over in the corner from poison darts. <laughs> and he's like, no son of mine. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, he is not happy with what he just saw and in fact, horrified by it. But it's really fucking cool if you think about it. And he scolds you in front of the entire army. He like takes a break in the middle of a battle to be like, hey, what the fuck? Yeah, and you tell him that if you're going to fight monsters, then you need to be one too. Yeah. No time for arguments though, because those monsters are back and you fall back into battle with the Mongols. Sorry, going back into ghost mode. We'll fight about this later. Bye. You fight and fight and push the enemy further back towards the castle itself. And like Castle Canada, it's built on a mountain and you have to access it via a bridge over a ravine. You chase the Mongols back to the bridge and fire down on them from above as they move into their final hold, shutting the gates behind them. The Shogun's forces are encouraged by their retreat and charge forward at Lord Shimura's command, chasing the fleeing Mongols. But you know the Mongols better and yell out, this is a trap, but it's too late. Oh. The gate leading to the castle opens, and the Mongols send a flaming, horse-drawn cart straight at the Shogun's army. Wait, is the cart and the horses on fire, or just the cart's on fire? I'm sorry to tell you, the horse is also <gasps> on fire. Oh my god, that's so fucking apocalyptic! Jesus! And the cart is full of explosives. Oh my god. The cart explodes mid-bridge, killing the soldiers, and making the bridge impassable for the time being. Oh, fuck. Like, it didn't destroy the bridge. Yeah, but, like, it's gutted enough that you can't jump it. It's just fucked up enough it needs some repairs before it can be crossed. Plus, there's dead bodies everywhere. Yeah, of humans and horses. And Yuna fucking loses it. Because she already had a low opinion of Lord Shimura, and she just watched him order a battalion of men to charge to their own death. Ugh. So she's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And his response was that they need to regroup and do the same thing fucking thing again tomorrow like she told Jin earlier nobody's fighting for Tsushima which by extension means nobody's fighting for Lord Shimura they're fighting for the ghost you try telling Uncle Lord Shimura to let you do things your way so you can actually succeed the next attack and he dismisses you like the child he remembers you being oh god and it's like Jin's doing shit to make things better and like Jin is still respectful of corpses. Like, he can still take a beat to honor the fallen, regardless of what side they were on. He may have gotten them killed, but, you know, he'll still write a fucking haiku about it. Like, he's doing the right thing. He's trying to, at the very least. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on the ghost side here. You tell him that you can easily sneak in and poison their dinner, taking out the entire army in one swift move. You don't even have to use ghost mode. And he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> what, what kind of Games of Thrones shit are you on? Soldiers don't die from poison. They die in battle. And you're like, die in battle. Die from poison. They're still fucking dead. You give him okay boomer energy. <laughs> yeah, except with poisoning, nobody on our side dies. Yeah. And it is kind of a classic argument, like you were just saying, of doing something the old-fashioned way or doing something the new, more efficient way. You have to be an innovator. You have to be a disruptor. <laughs> You tell your uncle that you sacrificed every moral code you've ever known in order to save your people. While Lord Shimura sent every samurai on the island to die, then sat in a cell captured doing nothing, only to turn around and send more samurai to die. Oof. I mean, harsh but fair. 
Well, your uncle doesn't like that comment one bit. What, the truth? And he smacks you across your face. He just sees a child in front of him. He is just treating you like the little boy he sees. Oh, my God. Yeah, and Jin's 27. He is not a child at all. He's a grown-ass ghost. And you walk out of the room saying that the two of you are done. Oh, honey. Oh, everyone's just getting orphaned and alone in this. Fuck. You meet up with Yuna, and the two of you plan to poison the enemy, and that you need to do it before the bridge is fixed enough for Lord Shimura to send more of his men to die. Yeah, absolutely. You sneak in under the cover of nightfall, and find the beverage that is to be served with the night's dinner. And it was like fermented goat's milk or some shit. Why did my brain go to, like, a thing of (laughs) Kool-Aid? Because, oh, because... Because I love cults, and that's a very Jonestown moment. Never mind. (laughs) Got there. Then you sit back and wait for the dinner bell. The troops gather around, and the drinks are poured. The Mongols drink and laugh and have a grand old time. Up until they all start vomiting blood, Mm. and you stand to watch the Mongol army fall down dead with your sword still in its sheath. (laughs) Does that play out as a cutscene, or are you like kind of sneaky sneaks around watching them Enjoy dinner and then die. No, that's all in the cutscene. Oh, that's great, though. Is it... So they're just vomiting blood? Like, it's not pouring out of their eyes or anything, like, in Bullet Train? No, no. It's literally just puking up blood. Okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, not, not cool, but gotcha. You charge to the castle itself while soldiers reach up at you from the ground, begging for some reprieve from the poison. And, like, Homegirl didn't teach you the antidote. <laughs> right. And you can end their suffering if you want. But it's kind of funny if you let him die, right? Entirely. (laughs) When you enter the castle, the only person there is Ryuzo. Motherfucking straw hat bitch. He says Koten Khan rode north, and that he was told to stay behind and collect the ghost's head. Come and get it, bitch. So you draw your sword, ready to battle fuckface Ryuzo once again. Ryuzo raises his sword, still in its scabbard, and puts his hands up, saying he's not here to fight. Yes, you are. That was the one thing you had. That's your only actionable. Well, he says that he could have killed you earlier, but he convinced Koten to let you live. Yes, Ryuzo betrayed his own people, but you've actually killed every last one of his straw hats. So he has nobody that he's even fighting for anymore. The only thing he has left is you, his best friend. You're not friends anymore. He's your baby rival. You have to defeat him. We all know you must defeat the baby rival. (laughs) That's a video game trope. He says that if you tell the people of Tsushima that you sent him in as a spy to gain the Khan's trust, they'll believe you. He really went, yo, what if we lied and said, kidding, kidding, kidding. Oh, he's such a dirty little rat. I hate him. Yeah, he would have never made a samurai regardless of that fucking duel, right? No, he's a dipshit. He would have been like the fucking ball boy equivalent. He would have been like... Cleaning everyone's sheaths and shit, you know? Well, you tell him, fuck that. You're a traitor. Hell yeah. Nothing is going to change that. And you need to answer for your crimes. You'll at the very least take him as a prisoner, but there's no redemption to be had here. Good. You're not going to lie just so he can save face. Buzo doesn't like that option, and at last unsheathes his sword, since it's either die here or die later, because there's no prison for treason. Hell yeah. This does become your final fight, as he begs you to finish him in the end. And you stab your childhood friend with your wakazashi knife. Fuck you, baby rival. Saying your final goodbyes. Hmm. I mean, 
so bittersweet, right? Like, it is. Clearly, you guys grew up together, loved each other, but he's just fucked up so much and gotten so many people killed. It's got to be at least a little like, dude, you set yourself up for this. Fuck you, man. You're more disappointed that it came to this. Yeah, you're like, hey, this is why you can cut it as a samurai because you're a little dipshit. Ugh, I'm sorry I keep saying dipshit. It's just that's all I see is him being a dipshit. Well, there's no more being a dipshit for him now. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you decapitate him? No, no, you just... Okay, <laughs> this isn't one of the really gory ones where you're just like full ghost? No, you give him basically a samurai's death. What does that mean? Uh, Just you looking them in the eye and with respect and honor. I respectfully murder you. Yeah. Okay, got you. It's not as a... <laughs> jaw gripping and fucking <laughs> decapitating and no, shit. Okay. No, no, that's, that's against the samurai code. Okay, this one was within bounds. Yes. We cut to Yuna, who has just entered the castle grounds, and she looks at the still dying army of poisoned soldiers. Is she laughing? I feel like she'd enjoy this, being like, ah, I fucking hate all of you. She's just more like looking around impressed. And I was just like, oh yeah, you did it. Let's go. Behind her is Lord Shimura and his army of the few remaining Shogun Samurai. He's fucking pissed at you for defying his orders. I specifically told you not to poison everyone like this. He says that there is no way the Shogun isn't going to hear about this, and he's going to demand the head of the ghost as a result. Yuna immediately jumps to your defense, saying that we were losing this war until the ghost showed up. He is single-handedly holding back this invasion. And Lord Shimura is too stuck in his old ways to see it. Absolutely, Go off, girl. Lord Shimura pulls in close to you and goes, listen, I know she's cute, but like, <gasps> don't let a woman change you. <gasps> Fuck you. Re I am so, no, uh-uh, don't go on yet. I'm so mad. <laughs> she is cute. Uh, she's the baddest bitch on the fucking island, Fuck you. How dare you? And she's goddamn right. It's that sequence in Spider-Man where he's like, do what you want with her and dump her. No, he's fucking the green goddamn goblin being like, this is the way we do things. Two weeks. Oscorp will be dead in two weeks. No, it's the Oscorp is the Shogun. No, I'm not here for this shit. I love Yuna. Yuna forever. I dropped my Ryuzo when he said almost the same thing about you once, so. <laughs> Your baby rival. Yeah. <laughs> I am cute, but whatever. I know. But what the fuck, man? Like, it's... Ah, the misogyny. Ah. Pretty bad. I'm so angry. He wouldn't say this if it was another dude. Anyway, he says to renounce the ghost and be the samurai I trained you to be. You're being aggressive and I don't like it. Shut up, man. I'm getting results. If you tell everyone you were blinded by pussy... They'll believe you and will let this whole ghost phase slide. Tell them you are Jin Shimura, my son, and that you are loyal to the Shogun as he holds your adoption papers in his hand. He has a copy of them, like, ready to go? It's, they're there, they are signed. This is the most emotionally manipulative bullshit ever. Oh my god. it's so fucked to hear your uncle say basically the same things you heard Koten Khan say just hours earlier. Ugh. You look your uncle dead in the eye and say, I'm not your son. I'm the ghost. Hell yeah. You hand Yuna your sword and tell her to flee north to chase Koten Khan while you surrender to your uncle's men. And Uncle Lord Shimura throws your adoption papers into a fire. Oh, god damn. 
Ooh, this is an emotional day for you. It's a hard one, right? Yeah. Jin is having it. Jin needs some therapy after this. Jin needs some gin after this. You spend days in a cell, all alone. One night, a familiar voice can be heard from the other side of the cell door. Kenji arrives, <gasps> telling the man guarding you that Lord Shimura is throwing a party for his soldiers to celebrate their victory, and that he has brought sake for the celebration. He tells the guard that you're not going anywhere anyway, and to go join the others in celebration. <laughs> I love him. He's fun. As soon as the guard is gone, he pops open your cell and tells you, this is a rescue mission. Hell yeah. You resist because part of you has that lingering guilt of the samurai. This must have been really hard for you as a recovering Catholic. Oh my god, it screams at me during these moments. I completely understand what he means. And it's interesting too, because like obviously you didn't grow up in a Japanese culture, Japanese no. household, or any of those values. And like having a very, you know, traditionally American, traditionally Irish Catholic upbringing, but you're still like, oh, right in the bones. Oh no. Right. There's parts that you don't even realize come from that. Yeah. Kenji says he intercepted orders to have you shipped to the Shogun for judgment. There's no regaining favor or reclaiming your legacy. Ugh. Right now, it's time to run. Yeah. You need to just get shit done. Like, core concept, yeah, whatever. Put me on trial. Shut up. I have shit to do. This is also, again, to bring it back to Spider-Man. They're, <laughs> they're trying to arrest him the entire fucking movie. They're like, oh, you know, we, we need you. And, you know, fucking the... Daily Bugles talking about how you're a criminal and we we need to investigate all these things that you're associated with. But when it comes down to it, you have to jump into the house to save the people from fire, even if it's Green Goblin, whatever. Anyway, I love the Sam Raimi movies. <laughs> we all know you do. <laughs> well, Yuna has tracked down Koten Khan and she's waiting for you with your weapons. Kenji tells you where to meet her, along with your other friends, Sensei Ishikawa, Lady Masako, and brother Norio. I like that they clearly have their own shit. Like, they are the main character of their own story. Right. But they're still like, okay, we'll do these side missions with you. Like, in another world, we got them as, like, the mains and being like, and then there's this assassin ghost war hero, warlord that we're friends with who occasionally comes in. Right. No, entirely. Because, like I said at the beginning, it's supposed to be, Nate Fox said, it's an anthology of stories. Oh, you're right. That's true. And it's just, it's so great because you can imagine their entire world. And it makes this feel very full and enriching and satisfying as a narrative because these are whole ass people with a giant arc and like big missions and really large pieces to chase through and learn about them and discovery. It's really great. I'm really enjoying this. Well, Kenji goes out to the celebration so he can be seen mingling and not become a suspect when they find you missing. He has to go have his alibi rounds. Yeah. <laughs> I love him. He's a baddie. As you sneak through the grounds, you stumble upon some regular citizens, and they all assure you. They are on your side, and they help you to escape. Snitches get stitches, bitches. Let's go. They're like, we didn't see shit. You get your horse soda from the stables and ride off into the night. But not before stirring up a commotion. Hell yeah. And your badass horse even takes a few arrows to the flank as it speeds you to safety. Oh, no. However, a few dozen miles later, it's just too much for Sora. Oh. And your horse stumbles, arrows still in its side. And you kneel down next to it, apologizing for not keeping it safe. Oh, my God. And you hold your horse as it takes its final breath. What the fuck? Now you're just doing the end of Red Dead for me? Are you kidding? <gasps> oh, my God. 
God, I hate seeing animals die. One, period, point blank. When you see them die in video games after you spent an entire campaign bonding and leveling up and going through all these adventures. Why am I so emotional? The scene fades and we're taken to act three. Kill the Khan. Absolutely. Let's get him. And to your point about what you were saying earlier, you bury your horse and continue north. <laughs> I am crying so hard. As you do, you see that Koten isn't interested in preserving Tsushima anymore, as his forces have burned everything in their path. Ugh. You go to where you were to meet Yuna and find piles of dead farmers and townsfolk. Oh my god. Thankfully, no Yuna or any other friends amongst them. Okay. The one thing that stands out to you, though, is the amount of blood everywhere. Not a single person was injured, but there's blood everywhere. What the fuck? Which could only mean one thing. The Mongols have learned from the ghost and have resorted to poisoning entire villages to take <gasps> care of them quicker. Oh, God damn it. Okay, so there's no beheadings. There's no mutilated bodies like we've been seeing in earlier acts. They've just adopted the poisoning, so they're throwing up the blood everywhere. Fuck. As you inspect one of these victims, an arrow pierces your back. Oh, God. You've taken a lot of arrows to the back. You really have. Are there any Skyrim nods with, like, an arrow to the knee? No, none that, okay. I, none that I noticed, anyway. Too easy, anyway. Your vision immediately becomes blurry, and you begin to vomit blood. Poison arrows! This is Red Dead. Holy shit. You try to stagger away, but continue to vomit blood and eventually collapse while you hear the sound of Mongols descend on you. Just as you pass out, you hear Yuna shout, come on, you stupid horse, and the screen fades away. Yuna, go get him, baby girl. You wake up again in a room with Yuna standing over you, reviving you from the poisoned arrow. She keeps saving you. Like, God bless Yuna. She is the fucking best. Like, you want to talk Captain save -a -ho. It's just Yuna. She knows plants well and was able to make a quick antidote that saved you. Damn. Go get it, girl. She says the Khan has ridden far north to a place called Port Izumi, which is a well-fortified port town, and taken it over. She gives you back your equipment, and you devise a plan to help build a camp near the port to plan the next attack. There's a pagoda near the port that's well-fortified and has a small Mongol group occupying it, so the two of you ride off and retake it. In talking, you know that Koten Khan has studied every aspect of samurai culture and fighting but he has no idea how to fight the ghost. And that will be your biggest advantage. <laughs> the ghost has no rules. Try me, bitch. And now we're free to roam the final portion of the map. And something I haven't mentioned yet is the fast travel system in this game. It's damn near perfect. Every location you go to in the game, whether it be a tiny shrine or an entire city, becomes a fast travel spot. You just have to discover it first. Oh, I love that. And in the upgraded PS5 version director's cut, it's instant. Nice. There are no load screens, no fake cutscenes to hide a load screen, nothing. It's just select the point and you're there. That's incredible. Really incredible. I haven't seen it yet in a game. While free to roam, you also go off and finish up all your friends' stories. And we already know a couple of those. But Brother Norio deals with his personal issues about being a monk who kills. <laughs> and you have a final moment with your old head of house, Yuriko, as she dies of old age. Oh, 
and you lay her to rest in her family's burial plot. You actually had offered her a spot in the Sakai plot as well, but she said she wanted to be buried where her family was. Hmm. That's a very kind gesture, though. Yeah. Because, you know, you wanted to make sure that she could still serve your family in the afterlife. Oh, my God. It's like uh, Scientology. (laughs) (laughs) You signed a thousand-year contract, so when are you clocking in? But, yeah, in the end, the other people are all still on your side, even asshole Sensei Ishikawa, because, let's face it, the dickhead can shoot. Yeah. (laughs) He's a pain in the ass, but damn if he's good with a bow and arrow. As in the last two sections, you need to recruit some soldiers. However... Being a wanted person by both the Mongols and now Lord Shimura, you have to recruit some of the more shady elements of Tsushima. Yeah, let's get weird with it. Bandits and thieves, people Yuna has known for years. <laughs> I like that it's like, they've never been good enough to be anything else but Yuna's friends. And I love that they've been street rat people, and now they are truly the last hope for the island. You want to talk the citizens of Tsushima, it is the poorest of them that are usually the citizens. Right. And one of them includes an ex of hers. Ooh. Ultimately, they're people who won't have an issue with the methods of the ghost. Yeah. There's a pretty funny moment, too, where someone says, uh, someone's going to need to be able to scale the walls. Are you a good climber? <laughs> and you very humbly say, better than average. Better than average. Okay. He's fucking Nathan Drake it over here. Yeah. They watch you defy all laws of physics and scale said wall with a grace that would make Spider-Man jealous. I love everything about that. And they're like, okay, better than average. Got it. He didn't lie. Yeah. When you confront Yuna about teaming you up with her ex, you kind of tease her saying he would probably like to see her. Oh. And she goes, he's seen me. Can we go now? Oh. <laughs> she said, we're still fucking. Can you not? We have a con to kill. Let's go. Yeah. You go with Yuna on a recon mission of the port, and you see the plants you use for poisoning surrounding the area. And the part of the plant that is poisonous has been trimmed from every last one of them. So they are ready to poison. Searching more, you find they are keeping enough of the plant in storage to kill hundreds, if not thousands. Oh my, so they kind of reverse engineered your shit. Yeah. And are doing it on a mass scale, full weapons of mass destruction style. And that's why Koten Khan took over a port instead of a castle this time. Oh, God. He's going to take this poison to mainland Japan and overthrow the Shogun with it. Jesus. You start to wonder if your poison trick before was worth it, considering how they have now turned it against you. Kind of not. It's kind of not worth it. Probably should have just ghost moded that. And, like, I think that's a lesson that we as a species learn all the time in war. If you're going to introduce a new weapon, be ready to have it used against you, too. (laughs) Bring enough for the class. You convince yourself that it's not your fault how the con acts. And if you stop him, you stop the poisoning. After the recon, you determine that even if everything goes perfectly, you still don't have enough forces to defeat the Mongols before they can take to the sea. And before you can even suggest it, Yuna tells you no. Do not ask your uncle for fucking help. Yeah. (laughs) I like that Yuna sees Jin being like, well, what if? And she goes, hey, 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 hey. Absolutely fucking not. He is going to arrest you and send you straight to the Shogun. You tell her that you're not going to see him. You're just going to leave a note telling him the plan and he can decide if he wants to join or not. Because you should always leave a note. (laughs) Before heading out, you are given a new horse. And you can give it either of the names you didn't choose for your first horse. But you can't name it Sora again? No. Or you can do a third choice, Kaze, which means wind. I went with Kage this round, which meant shadow. 
And just like Yuna and Yarikawa, you grew up in Shimura Castle. And don't even need to be a ninja in order to sneak around it. Yeah, you just hometown advantage. Yeah, but it helps. You leave your note on Lord Shimura's prayer mat where you know he'll see it. In the note, you tell him the plan, and that if the two of you can't stand side by side as father and son, then you can at least stand as warriors on different paths. Oh. Even then, you're hoping the guilt of being family will make him look past your differences and join you. He is like, but you know, my dad died, I lost my mom really young. Come on. You return to your stronghold and hope for the best. In the meantime, a snowstorm is brewing and should land by dawn tomorrow. The plan is to use that to your advantage and attack during the storm. You run around rousing the spirits of your soldiers, preparing them for the battle against the Mongol army. Even Kenji is there saying he's in good spirits because that's what he's been sipping on all day. <laughs> Kenji's the fucking best. He says that he'll be sober and at the battle tomorrow because Taka can't be. Oh my god, wait, why am I- Fuck! <laughs> I know, Kenji loved Taka so much. Mm. Yuna tells you that you're the last person she gives a fuck about, so make sure you survive. The next morning, the seaside blizzard hits, and you prepare to invade the port. The ships are halted and the Mongols are shivering in their tents, and there's no sign of Lord Shimura nor his army. But the weather waits for no man, and you launch the attack. Using every dirty trick you've learned along the way, <laughs> from poison darts to exploding arrows. Yeah. Brother Norio was leading a different front, and your two forces meet in the middle and plan the next part of the attack. Beautiful. You'd really planned for Lord Shimura to be here, so you need to re-strategize. Yuna knows that the only way to win this is for the ghost to be the ghost. Yeah, she's like, hey, I need you to go full ghost. She volunteers the remaining forces to lead an attack on the front gate in order to cause a distraction so you can sneak in undetected. Not a single person objects to this suicide mission. Oh, God. And you part telling them they are the bravest warriors you've ever met. Mm. And you hope to meet again after today. Beautiful. The dozen or so people on your side begin their attack, and you sneak in as you hear the sounds of death at your back. Oh, fuck. Once inside, you gain a vantage point and see Koten Khan in a building about 300 yards away. From behind you, you hear a triumphant horn blare. A horn? Yeah, and you turn back to the battle at the front gate. The gate bursts open <gasps> with Lord Shimura at the front with his army of samurai. Hell yeah. Go, uncle. He raises his sword in the air and yells, For Tsushima! Oh. And his army charges into the keep, killing every Mongol in their way. Hell yeah. Now with a distraction you can trust will keep the Mongols off you, you make your way to where you saw Koten Khan. He's at the base of the tallest building in town, on a big, open, frozen-over pond, drinking from his famous chalice. He says that he kept offering peace, and you and your uncle kept choosing war. He picks up his halberd, and the two of you fight. And even after overpowering him, he throws some dirt in your eye Ugh. and runs off, leaving some soldiers to fight in his place. You have to chase him to his largest ship, killing dozens of Mongols along the way. Finally, with the ship in flames, you have your true final fight. And as you plunge your blade into his stomach through to the wall behind him... <gasps> Fuck, and he's a big dude, oh, so he's very big. that's a lot of sword. 
he says that he is a con. There's a bunch of us more, and they're going to come soon. And the cons will be remembered forever. You rip out your blade and say, but you'll be forgotten. <laughs> and with an effortless swing, you cut Koten Khan's head off. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, fuck, that's cool. The ship burns around you and you dive into the freezing cold ocean to escape it. On shore, Yuna finds you shivering and hurt. And once again, she helps you recover from battle. After you recover, you want to go into hiding, knowing your uncle will still be after you. Besides, there are still some Mongols left around the island you need to kill. But Yuna says that Lord Shimura sent a message. You're not wanted. <laughs> He's been sending that message, okay? There's been some tension in the air. Yeah, but he does want to see you. He asks that you meet him at the dueling circle under the Japanese maple with the red leaves that we saw Little Jin train in so long ago. Mm. You arrive, and it looks just as it did in the memory as the wind sweeps through it. As you wait for your uncle to arrive, you sit and play your flute so you can have a nice, calm day. When your uncle arrives, he has news for you. The Shogun knows you're the ghost. And you are, in fact, wanted. He has stripped your family's name of its nobility status, and you can no longer call yourself a samurai. Mainland samurai will be coming soon to take over your family's home and territory. For now, he wants to go on a ride with you, and the two of you mount your horses. On the road, you see a merchant who has gotten his cart stuck. You help him out, and he explains that he is taking supplies to the ghost's army. They're chasing the Mongols out of Tsushima, and he wants to help their efforts. Aww. After the merchant leaves, you tell your uncle, you have absolutely no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> and Uncle Lord Shimura goes, shh, not here. You ride a bit, and he explains. It doesn't matter if you're involved or not. The ghost has followers. And they've gone beyond followers and have become true believers. Aww. The Shogun is worried that these followers of the ghost won't follow the new leadership he's about to bring in to replace the Sakai family. Even if you were to stand up and tell them to follow the Shogun, you literally taught them to defy their leaders when you defied Lord Shimura. You ride to the now former Sakai estate, so you can visit your family's burial grounds one last time since this won't be yours anymore when the new samurai arrive. And it's pretty similar to that training circle with the big Japanese maple, but it's accompanied by white blossoms, both of their fallen leaves forming a natural yin-yang in a circular clearing leading to your parents' tombstone. Aww. The two of you pay your respects as leaves fall around you, and the wind blows gently. But then the wind picks up. Lord Shimura turns to you and says that the Shogun has declared you a traitor, and he has been ordered to execute you. Oh my god. You slaughtered people viciously. You poisoned people, and that poison was used against your own, and almost threatened all of mainland Japan. You have no honor, and he is a slave to it. Now he has to go off and make a real son, because this one failed him. But at least our final day together is a beautiful one. Oh my god. Being the last members of clans Sakai and Shimura, you both sit to write one final haiku to commemorate the final words of your respective clans. You reflect on the day of your father's funeral, when little Jin Sakai was told by Uncle Lord Shimura that he would raise you 
as his own son. When you come back to the present, you tell him you're ready. And the two of you draw swords, master and apprentice, uncle and nephew, father and son, oh. mortal enemies. My favorite aspect of this battle being that the only way to win is by playing defensively. Mm. You can't win by openly attacking. Huh. You have to let him attack you, and then you have to parry or block his attacks and counter. Because you don't want to do this. Yeah. You have to. As the sun sets over the ocean, the fight rages, and with a slash, you send your uncle to his knees, unable to continue. He looks up at you and says, honor me with a warrior's death. Ugh. And you're given the choice of giving him what he wants or letting him live. If you grant him his wish, you honor his code by dropping to your knees in front of him, pulling your wakizashi knife as you do. You tell him that you will make sure he is remembered as a great warrior, a wise leader, and a father. He thanks his son as you slide your knife into him, promising to find him in the next life. Oh my god. You scream out in agony as you lay your uncle's body in front of your father's tombstone. Music swells, and the credits roll. If you defy your uncle, Lord Shimura, one more time, and let him live, he warns you that they will never stop hunting the ghost. You say, I know, and you turn your back on him, put on the ghost mask given to you by Taka, and walk away as the scene fades and the credits roll. Oh my god. The end. Fuck! That was Ghost of Tsushima. What did you choose? Uh, the first time around, I let him live. Yeah, because, like, too hard to kill your uncle dad? Yeah, it's kind of, you have to teach him the lesson of, we're not doing things your way anymore. Yeah, things can evolve, and they can evolve for the better, and, man, we don't have to do this. <laughs> Traditions are just peer pressure from dead people. Like, we don't have to <laughs> do shit like this. We can make things better and be progressive and make things cool for everyone. Oh, that's a beautiful fucking story. I love that. What happens to Yuna? Is she just, like, fucking off and, like, doing her own thing? So there is, like, a post-credits thing because there is endgame. There's post-game kind of content just mm -hmm. because if there's any missions you didn't finish off or that kind of stuff, you can go off and do that. Oh, so you can finish, like, your friend's missions and stuff. Yeah. And honestly, there's no real ending with Yuna or anything. She's just more or less like, I'm still on your side. I'm sticking around Tsushima. If you need me, I'm here. I'm like a street rat now. <laughs> yeah. I don't. They didn't really progress them in terms of relationship or anything like that. Good. I don't think Jin's in a place where he wants to date anyone. I, don't, I think Yuna's busy mourning a lot like we don't need to shoehorn them in together they did a really good job of not making that just like good the point very good oh that was beautiful i'm like in awe of how good that is i do see where some people were saying it's red dead as a samurai and yeah. not as a cowboy <laughs> i mean down to like where you thank your horse for its service and shit right right oh but it's beautiful and then like even your father figure has like a final battle with you with Dutch and everything. <laughs> I mean, we got there, didn't we? We did. I a lot of the twists and turns I never saw coming. Yeah. I'm so happy people suggested this one because I don't think I would have played it otherwise. Totally. And I am so happy I did. This ended up being one of my favorite games I've played. Really? Yeah. Oh, the, that's incredible. The combat system is so complex and so difficult to learn. You have to like 
master the battle system. Mm-hmm. And then once you do, it just becomes fun. Yeah. Okay. So you have to get your arms around kind of a beast with the battling, but then it's all great. I just, I love the narrative. This is so cool. Yeah. And the narrative was just absolutely incredible as well. My only real nitpick of the game, and it's to me something that shouldn't be allowed in video games at this point. Oh. And it's clipping. If you're unfamiliar with clipping, it's just when two solid objects pass through each other. Oh, that's annoying. There was a lot of issues with that. Like, because of your armor and stuff, you'll have, like, a cloak, but the cloak will overlap with the shoulder pads, and it just kind of, like, fades into the shoulder pads, or mm. your sword will go through your own armor like they're like it's not actually there. Yeah. The biggest issue was on your horseback. There were certain types of trees you can just run through. Oh, the opposite of Red Dead. Yeah. So there was little things like that where I was like, this feels... That shouldn't be occurring in this level of game. Yeah, like, especially at this caliber of, like, writing and development, you should be able to figure that shit out with the physics. It was also my first Sucker Punch game, and so now I'm like, okay, I gotta go try Infamous. Yeah. That's another one people keep emailing and asking about, so probably eventually Infamous will end up on the show if it's good enough. If it's good enough. Yeah, I don't know yet. Are there more of those coming out, or do you think that franchise is wrapped up? That is wrapped up. They made this because they were tired of the Infamous series. Okay, so that's definitively, like, they put that on the shelf, and they definitively put this on the shelf as well. Maybe. I don't know. There's, like I said, there's the movie coming out. Uh, I don't know if there's a sequel coming out. They haven't said anything about the next game. Okay, cool. But they have other shit in the, like, in the works. Entirely, yeah. Okay, very cool. Man, that was great, and, like... Bunch of pasty Pacific Northwesterners who do such a great samurai story. (laughs) Go off, friends. And Iki Island is super fun as well. Like I said, it's almost a full-blown sequel in and of itself. It is basically the size of the lower third, like the first third that you're in of the game. Oh, that's awesome. No, I'm so excited to talk about that. Yeah, so hop on over on the Patreon, sign up for that if you haven't already, and you can listen to that right now. Am I going to cry? No, I don't think so. This one's more the daddy issues, and daddy's been gone for a long time. (laughs) I went through a lot with this. It's mostly talker related, but man, I went through the fucking ringer with you just now. I'll tell you what, you've already guessed the entire theme of Iki Island. I did? It's therapy. (laughs) So me yelling go to therapy is just go to Iki Island. Yeah, Iki Island is the therapy. I'm so happy that you kept yelling go to therapy, because he does. (laughs) I just like yelling that at people now. It's over on Iki Island. Yeah. (laughs) anyway that's enough plugging it uh thank you goombas for coming along on this journey that was a fun game i don't think this is our longest episode of the season i was surprised to see life is strange i think is our longest episode of the season really yeah that one comes in at four hours oh god that's jesus (laughs) yeah i think this one's coming in right around three so anyway we appreciate you guys coming on this journey with Jin and us and we will see you back next week for our season finale. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited for that. Um, and also exhausted because it's been a very long season of a lot of games. We are so excited. And again, so grateful for you joining us. After next week, when we are in season finale, we are going to be taking a break just to play some games, catch up with the catalog because we want to give you really good episodes for season seven. But then we'll be back in a couple months. So in the interim, hang out, check out next week's episode. It's going to be fucking amazing i am beyond excited and i truly didn't think we could do this game so <laughs> i think you've said definitively we're never doing it i, I definitely i also no. said we wouldn't do tetris so fuck me yeah another one of those games where we're like never doing it totally doing doesn't it. doesn't make sense can't do it we're absolutely doing it. i'm so excited <laughs> but between then if you follow us on social check out our website we will still be pushing some content there keeping you updated with some gaming news some stuff that we're doing maybe hinting at some season seven games but 
don't worry. It's not the end. It's just a little pause, little gamer break. Okay, Goombas. This is Tom and Andrea reminding you, don't skip the cutscenes. Don't do it. Bye.